Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sunday, Monday edition, whenever we drop this. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's, it's going, to, going to be an adventure, especially when you have a late kickoff, which only means a late postgame show. I mean, Keegan and I did our uh, postgame reaction show around 12.30, 1.30 last night. So I'll probably put this out on Monday. But welcome to the uh, next week's edition, the uh, bi-week edition of the Inside OU podcast. And um, didn't plan on this, but I thought, hey, this was kind of fun to do it with John Hoover last week. So uh, we're going to make like the Sunday, Monday edition uh, just kind of like a media corner. So everybody that covers OU football besides Keegan Renault will just try to get some friends, some guests on throughout the year just to make it a little bit more fun. So today we are joined by my good friend, Mr. Lee Benson of Oklahoma's News 9. Lee, how are we doing today? Doing well. Quite the honor to be included in the, the media corner with you as well. well and you've already uh, gotten some reps in talking about this game late at night. So uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous because I'm going to be behind the eight ball a little bit being at the game. Didn't get a chance to watch it back at all yet, which I normally like to do after yep. OU games, but in a game like that, where Missouri state came into town, you know, I, I decided uh, I'll just go off of what I saw on the field. And I think that'll be okay. Yeah, you can you can sometimes do this. Um, now, of course, before we get get any further, besides Oklahoma's News Nine, Lee, you also co-host the West of Evers podcast, one of my favorite OU podcasts. I already, I think I referenced it on Thursday with Keegan when we did our pregame kind of thoughts podcast. And um, glad that the show is back after the uh, quarantine, lockdown, off-season madness that we all had to endure. So glad to see that up. So OU fans, I'm sure you are, if, you, if you're listening to Inside OU, I'm sure you already know of West of Everest, but if you don't, go give Lee and Grant a follow on all the podcast formats and you'll enjoy it. They do a uh, fantastic job. But yeah, like before we get like into, I guess, the deep thoughts of this game, Lee, like, like I equated this game to like a basketball plus minus, you know how sometimes a plus minus can either tell you absolutely nothing or it can tell you absolutely everything. So you don't have to really go back and really deep dive into stuff. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You can just have a memory of a handful of plays in the first quarter, mainly just the first half. And you kind of, you, you have the thoughts you already, you already know what you need to know. You probably saw a lot of the questions answered that you had going into this game, which weren't many. I mean, there were a few, but again, the competitive, the, the athletic gap between OU and Missouri State, it, it's just, you can only learn so much. And we learned pretty much everything that we had to learn considering all the players that were out for OU today or yesterday due to either injury suspension, mm-hmm. uh, either being sick or in quarantine due to contact tracing. We don't know the, the difference between those two, but um, quite a few players out, but overall, I'm sure your raw thoughts are just good enough. See, going into the game, like you, like most Oklahoma fans, the main thing I wanted to see was Spencer Rattler. That's quite obvious, and he passed all of the tests that we were hoping he would pass. 31 points in the first quarter. He basically completed every single pass. A couple of drops would have been touchdown passes. He looked 
he looked really good. Now, it was against Missouri State. We knew he'd probably look good, but it's just nice to see him out there for the first time in extended action at Oklahoma. So, yes, that's what I wanted to see. But aside from that, the other thing that I was kind of interested in was what would the team look like coming out? Because during this entire lead-up to this game, no spring practice, the vibe in, in training camp, even going back to July when they got on campus, it's been one of those things where – and I know – Every school in the country has been dealing with, with this as well. But since we're so close to Oklahoma, it just seems like COVID, all of the protocols, and then the social justice stuff that has come up in the last few, few months as well and, and reacting to that, that just seems like it's been weighing this team down. You listen to Lincoln Riley the last few weeks. He just looks exhausted, yeah. and some of the players do as well. And so my thought was, what is this team going to look like coming out? Are they going to be ready to play? I know they're going to beat Missouri State. It's Missouri State. But what are they going to look like? And Oklahoma was absolutely ready to play. They look great, especially on defense. Three and out, seven straight series to start the game. Missouri State didn't get a first down until, I think, five minutes to go in the first quarter. Or second quarter, excuse me. So I was happy to see the team look like they wanted to get out and hit somebody else and play fast and score a lot of points on offense. Because I'll be honest, I didn't know what they were going to look like. I kind of thought they might come out a little lackadaisical, uh, and not 100% ready. But I was wrong, and I like to see that. And if you listen to our, our last podcast, the, the West of Everest podcast, which I haven't had a chance really to talk a whole lot about this season, it, my thoughts, my quick thoughts on Oklahoma is I'm very positive about the football season. I think Oklahoma is going to play all of its games. I think college football is going to be fine. When it comes to Oklahoma, I don't know. I, I'm a bit skeptical with – uh, as far as the standard of, yeah, they're going to win the Big 12. We've been picking them to win the Big 12 for, for years. I didn't jump into that right away. At the same time, I'm not sure who else is going to win the Big 12. I know Oklahoma State and Texas are, are sexy picks. But now after watching one game, I'm not going to – it's Missouri State again to qualify it. But I feel a lot better about this team moving forward because they were – I mean, they were absolutely ready to go on Saturday night. Yeah, I think you touched on something that we, we didn't really even focus on last night, uh, but it's a good point. Now, God forbid, if somebody was just fell into a coma on March 1st and they woke up the day before yesterday and had no knowledge of a pandemic, of all the social justice, like everything that you touched on that made this offseason feel very not football-y, it's a terrible way to describe it, but yeah, I had the yeah. same concerns. Like, how exactly is this team going to look? And then especially when you add in the small factors of Kansas State and Iowa State just looking like absolute crap and losing mm, to yes. Arkansas State and Louisiana, it's like, oh, man, I mean, is this how everyone's going to look? Is, every, like, is OU going to – are they going to be up like 31 to 7 or 31 to 10 at halftime, even though that, like this game's over, they've dominated? But, man, this is – Are we going to be tr- thinking, ah, this, this, is, not, this yeah. is not what we wanted it to be? Exactly. And – if you, if you were a person that, God forbid, fell into a coma for that time frame, had no knowledge of anything that happened prior, and then watched the game yesterday, it just seemed like a regular ass-kicking that OU would deal out against an FCS opponent. Like, you would have... It, it just even knowing that OU had a handful of players out either due to injury or whatever. Like, it's like, no, that, that looked like what we needed to see. And I think it was... I understand... I understood, and I even kind of believed... Um, 
before the game, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Spencer Rattler plays three quarters. Normally, your starter would probably just play the half or maybe even just the first quarter against an opponent like Missouri yes, State yes. just because of the lack of reps that we've had uh, all offseason. And we don't even know if Spencer Rattler is even – we don't know for sure if he's been sick yet or been in quarantine. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And maybe that was kind of the plan going in if Spencer Rattler struggled. But there was no struggling whatsoever. I mean, Lincoln Riley was very, like, cautious about throwing praise at his feet. I mean, I think he was just like, yeah, he, he played okay. Made some mistakes, right. like a, a, start, a new starter will. But overall, it's a great foundation for the start of his career. And I think as soon as Lincoln Riley saw what he needed to see out of Spencer in that he delivered the ball, uh, the timing was great. He never really threw a ball up for grabs. There was not a a lot of dangerous throws. There was that one throw early on to Stogner, but it's like when you're throwing to Stogner, he's going to be covered, and you're just kind of throwing a jump ball to that gigantic behemoth of of a human being. He saw what he needed to see as a head coach to his quarterback and just said, yeah, this you don't need to see anymore. And really the only negative takeaways from Rattler were late in the second quarter. I think he took a couple of sacks. uh, and I haven't watched back the game film yet. I I don't Little happy feet. yeah, I, I can't comment on if he missed guys or, or whatever, but I mean, it's, he's a redshirt freshman. He, he was trying to make plays and he knows he's against Missouri State. Uh, you know, he took a couple sacks, so whatever. I'm sure they'll, they'll clean that up a little bit. But other than that, yeah, I mean, everything that we know about Spencer Rattler or we've, we've been told about Spencer Rattler and we've seen in limited fashion at Oklahoma, it showed out. I mean, the arm is there. It's, he doesn't have a, a Josh Allen gun, but not many people do. But Definitely above average arm. It jumps out of his hand. Pinpoint accuracy. He just looks so confident out there. Able to move. Ran a couple zone reads early on in the game. So that keeps the defenses honest. It's just nice to get to get back to Oklahoma's offense with a quarterback closer to Baker Mayfield. Obviously, uh, you know, closer to Kyler Murray than it was with Jalen Hurts last year, where. By the midpoint of the year, we saw how limited he was and how the offense was reduced down to a, a, a heavy running team. Ball control. Didn't get, what's that? Ball control. Ball, yeah, ball control. And we didn't get to see that quarterback go back there, go through his progressions a lot, and pick teams apart and go through and, and run Lincoln Riley's offense up to the, the level that it can be. And this is week one. Spencer Rattler's going to keep growing and growing and growing. And it looks like it's a cliche, but the sky's the limit for this player. I mean, he, he's got all the talent in the world. And so it's completely understandable and fair to be incredibly excited about this guy if you're an Oklahoma fan. Yeah. And I, look, I have no doubt that once we get into conference play, Kansas State in two weeks, you know, once we get more games under our belts of watching Spencer Rattler, we'll be able to really go through it with a fine tooth comb and find yeah. some flaws. And like you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, taking the sack. Um, a little bit of happy feet, um, doesn't necessarily have the, when he gets into the open field, he had that one play where he got into the open field early on in the first quarter and he got to showcase his speed and he kind of surprised me with how fast he was. So the element of the zone read, I'm sure if we get to that point deep into the season, I'm sure Lincoln Riley has that in his back pocket because he does have the athleticism, but it's a kind of the good and the bad thing. It's the thing that we wanted all last season watching Jalen Hurts where, um, he would miss, he would routinely miss guys wide open. He, he can only really look at one side of the field and look, most quarterbacks are like that. Like 
we kind of fell into like Jalen Hurts sucks. I mean, I know not you, Lee, and I, I know most people probably didn't feel that way, but I feel like a lot of the fan base just kind of fell into Jalen Hurts just sucks. It's like, no, this is just what normal good quarterbacks are like. Not everybody's Baker <laughs> or Kyler where they can scan everything, read the defense before the snap, and then have the, the athleticism, the arm strength to deliver the football on time and in the proper spot. And I think all the foundations for that are in Spencer Rattler's hands. We're just going to find out, you know, once we get to Kansas State, Iowa State, and especially Texas. Now, of course, I don't know if you saw this tweet. That is, of course, uh, Texas doesn't have players uh, quitting in the third quarter uh, like they did I last night. That, no. uh, B.J. Foster apparently quit the team in the third quarter. <laughs> B.J. Foster? No, yeah. I didn't see that yet. Um, wow. I just saw this. I saw it retweeted, and it was right before I got in the shower, before I got in this podcast, because I, I don't podcast smelly, so don't worry about that. <laughs> but um, I just saw I that, and I'm like, that. usually I, 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 I research when I see things like that, but I'm like, you know what? That's kind of believable. I don't know why, but it's kind of believable. Oh yeah, absolutely. Knowing what we know about BJ Foster. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. But, but yeah, like we're going to find out about Spencer Rattler's flaws if he has them, but going back to what I was before I got on a tangent, um, <laughs> it's, it's what we wanted to see. We wanted to see a guy who was willing to try to go for the big play first. And in Lincoln Riley's offense, when you have all these skill guys, that should always be your, uh, your first option. And you certainly saw that all game long. You saw Spencer Rattler out there. And I think what Lincoln will probably stress to him is, you know, once the competition gets a little bit stiffer, hey, it's not a bad thing to take a check down. It's not a bad thing to go to your underneath guy because we're going to be playing better defensive lines, linebackers, secondary players, where you can't just feast on, I can out throw this cornerback. I can, out, I can throw this guy wide open and Marvin Mims, he's fast enough. Uh, I just want the big play right now. Yeah, and if you remember back, to be fair to to Jalen Hurts, not as much time in the offense, his first year there, uh, unlike Spencer Rattler, who had – he got there at the same time as Hurts. He had the entire 2019 season. So he, had, he has a whole year under his belt. And when you look back to Jalen Hurts at the start of last season, he took uh, – he went for those big plays. I mean, look, think of Houston. I mean, he, he would throw deep. He, he hit Charleston Rambo against UCLA. He was very comfortable going for those big plays. But as the season went on and the defenses stepped up, to your point, then it started to get a little bit more difficult. The difference between the two is, well, one, Spencer's definitely going to learn trial by fire. He's, he's a young guy. He hasn't played a whole lot in the last couple of years. He's going to make mistakes. We all know that. But he's got the skill set to continue on throughout this season to make those plays. I mean, the effort, the effortless ability he has to complete those deep balls to Marvin Mims and Charleston Rambo on Saturday night, it looks so easy. And I, I can't wait to go back and watch the film, but I, I want to say on the, the one to Mims early on, I think he even looked off a safety. I think and, so. I think and you're right. threw it back the other way, which I, I would hope that for a guy like Rattler, who even though he's young, he understands, he seems to understand the quarterback position pretty well. And, and these days, th these quarterbacks are so developed so early that that might just be kind of easy for him at this point already, which I hope it is, because just looking one way and then trying to bait the safety and then go back the other way, that shouldn't be all that difficult if you know that you've got kind of two reads, not to get in the weeds a little bit. But anyways, I, I, I do think that he has obviously more of the skill set to continue to progress and hit those plays as the season goes on. And when you got Kansas State and you got Iowa State coming up there, 
which before the season, it looked like those are going to be a lot more difficult than maybe they do now after what we saw on Saturday from those two teams. Yeah. I mean, look, Spencer Rattler, I'm sure every OU podcast out there, anybody with an outlet has talked up and down about Spencer Rattler. And um, I mean, I'm certainly excited. I do want to get into a little bit more. Like we, we of course talked about him last night, but Marvin Mims just, just screams excitement to me. Um, But Other than that, I do want to talk about Charleston Rambo as well because I think other than, I mean, the skill is is there. Like, the thing with Rambo, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's just the media surrounding him. I I don't know what it is, but there's just something about him that makes me feel like if Marvin Mims takes him over early on in this season as, like, the guy, it really wouldn't shock me. Um, It seemed like Spencer Rattler had... good little chemistry with Marvin Mims uh, early on mm-hmm. would make sense. They're both young guys, but um, I think it just kind of speaks to the skill position depth at OU. Cause of course, Jaden Hazelwood's not playing this year. He wasn't there yesterday. Um, OU is going to have like, you know, unfortunately due to contact tracing, probably have some guys miss games. And I think that that's, you know, whether we're talking about the H, the Y, the Z, everything like, Oh, you just has a ton of guys, but um one thing on Spencer Rattler before we move on, Lee, um, other than the, the Rambo bomb, the Mims bomb, to me, that throw he made early on in the first quarter set up their first touchdown for the one-yard uh, rush, I believe it was that. He moved up in the pocket, threw it kind of across his shoulder mm-hmm. to Jeremiah Hall to the one spot where he could get it. That was an NFL throw, and that behind the shoulder, like Keegan loved this throw yesterday, that behind the shoulder in the second quarter, uh, to uh, Theo Weiss, about 30 or 40 yard game. Oh yeah. Reminded me of the Kyler Murray throw to Larry Fitzgerald. Whenever you like type in his, his rookie highlight reel on YouTube, mm-hmm. you, that, that play is there. It reminded me of Kyler Murray. So the quarterback position, I feel like, again, we'll figure some stuff out about Spencer once this competition gets stiff, but the ability to deliver the ball and a bounce way across the field is there already for OU probably. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Jeremiah Hall catch because, yes, that was an NFL throw very early on in the game. Him moving out of the pocket and throwing not from a, his base stance and still able to deliver the ball in the one spot where Hall could make the play. And, by the way, great catch by Hall going down yep. to get it. So you brought that up. Quarterbacks of all levels and ages can, by accident, make incredible throws. But the, prob- the, the thing is they can't do it consistently. It looks like Spencer Rattler has that ability to make those throws consistently because he made the one to Hall. And then the one to Weiss, I thought, was his best throw of the night because it was just so easy back there. And I'd love to see the behind angle of that throw just just to to see how (laughs) – where Weiss was when the ball came out of Rattler's hands because he knew he he was going to throw the ball at the sideline. I'm going to guess it was a deep out to Weiss. I'm going to guess that's what he was running. Unfortunately, I, I was at the game. I was shooting kind of a tight shot of Rattler. But when you see the defender come in at the very last second and try to make the play and he can't make it, and Weiss is there right on the sideline to make a great catch, by the way, and keep his, his feet in bounds, that is just an eye-popping wow type throw in such a small area. And that's the only place it could be to complete the ball. And so that, that's whenever you get to the point where you're like, man – High-level quarterback play is something that we got used to watching from 2015, 16, 17, and 18 at Oklahoma. Not so much last year. We were spoiled. 
but now it looks like it could be back in 2020. Yeah, and I think, I mean, is it really that simple for uh, trying to predict OU season or just trying to predict who's going to win the Big 12 or if the Big 12 is going to send a representative to the college football playoff? Is it really just as simple as all we really need to see is just is the quarterback position going to be, is it going to mirror what you just said, 2015 to 2018? Um, if that's the case, then yeah, OU's pretty much a shoe in But I'm just curious from a media standpoint, Lee, like now that we have a game to kind of reference, we've seen guys perform. I mean, from a media perspective, um, moving forward, kind of interviewing Lincoln Riley, talking to players and coaches, I mean, what's, what's the focus now? I mean, what questions still are there and there should be a lot of questions just because a lot of guys missed did not play yesterday and it was Missouri State but having said all that I have no doubt when Kansas State comes to town they're going to probably perform better than they did against uh, Arkansas State just because they're playing OU right, uh, the right. stakes are higher but I mean what other questions are there I mean the skill positions are great um, the offensive line once they get healthy and everybody's playing that should be the starter I feel like they're going to be able to pass block well and run block well uh, Spencer Rattler, awesome. Defensive line, even with some guys missing time, you know, they didn't get they didn't get a lot of pressure, um, but nothing terrible. Like there was nothing. But they weren't getting pushed around. Obviously, um, right. I liked what I saw. Linebackers were really surprising, and then the secondary was just kind of like, meh. I mean, Trey Brown dropped an interception, but unfortunately, that's what Trey Brown does. But uh, I mean, what other questions? Kind of an awkward play. It was off a deflection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm gonna early on get into the defending the defense until late in the year like last year when I tried my best to defend the defense as far as turnovers go and then teams started literally throwing the ball to Oklahoma players and they still couldn't catch the ball yeah at that point it's like you know what I I, I can't defend you guys anymore you just can't get turnovers anyways that's a did you see ball. Alex Grinch tear Trey Brown like after he dropped that pick Oh, I didn't see Grinch. Oh, no, he, eviscer he eviscerated him on the sideline. And it's Good. like, that's what you got to do. It's like, dude, when you, you don't get opportunities like that. You got to do something. If you're an athlete, do something with it. But oh, well. All right. I'm, being too, I'm, being, I'm being too soft on him. You know, no. I'm wrong. Good. Good for you're, Coach Grinch. You're a nice guy, Lee. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you ask, like, what questions? Uh, I mean, quick, quickly, this is just immediately after the game. The running game wasn't very good. But this is Lincoln Riley and Bill Biedenboe, and the offensive line is going to be really good this season. So the running game is going to probably be fine. Uh, running back-wise, we haven't mentioned Seth McGowan at all. I think he was obviously very, very good. Uh, a lot of us were intrigued by how he'd fit into this team. He's going to get a lot of carries this season based off of last night. We'll see what happens when TJ Pledger comes back. Certainly he will get a chance. He'll get an opportunity. But if I had to predict it right now, by midseason, this will be Ramondre Stevenson – and the Seth McGowan show at running back. Those two guys, just based off of last night. We'll see what Pleasure does. Uh, Marcus Major had the most carries. You know, it, it was his first major role so far at Oklahoma, so we'll see. I'm not going to throw him in the trash after one game, but at, at this point, he kind of looks like maybe just more of a depth piece. The running game, though, was disappointing last night, but again, Bill Biedenboe is a great offensive line coach, maybe the best in the country. That offensive line always starts to gel as the season moves on. When Ramon J. Stevenson comes back, they'll have another back there. So the running game is probably going to be okay to not, not just okay, but probably really good. Other than that, I mean, the defense is still always going to be a question mark. That's my main question mark going into the season because it's Oklahoma. I do like that it's year two under Alex Grinch, but the late, the late games last year, 
And, you know, maybe LSU is not fair because it was such a mismatch and Oklahoma was missing guys on defense. But in that game, it just didn't seem like Oklahoma had watched any tape of LSU's offense all year long. There was, if you would have watched tape, which I'm, obviously they did, but there just there seemed to be things that you could have done against LSU's D, uh, offense to try to improve your chances. And Oklahoma yeah. didn't really do any of those, in my opinion. Uh, so that Again, maybe it's not fair because they were so – it was such a mismatch, so throw that in the garbage can. But even going back to the Baylor game when Baylor backup quarterbacks were hitting explosive plays against Oklahoma in a Big 12 title game, that can't happen. That absolutely cannot happen. So seeing that in an Alex Grinch defense gives me pause. Will they be better in year two? I hope so. So, again, that's my question mark. I know the secondary has a lot of experience. That's great. The linebacking core looks to be maybe better than we thought, but again, that's early. And the defensive line without Jalen Redman, I don't like that. I, I wish he was still around, obviously. And then they need to get Ronnie Perkins back. But aside from that, and, and this, is, this is lame, it's boring, it's a cliche at this point, but the question mark is going to surround the COVID stuff all year long. And we're never going to publicly know probably how many guys were out because they have COVID-19 or because they're contact tracers. And I think that's, that's going to be an issue moving forward. And I don't know how much you, if you want to get into that much at all, but th that is after game one, one of my biggest concerns with Oklahoma, because granted I'm a lot closer to Oklahoma's program than anybody else. Maybe you can, shed some light on this, but I, I didn't hear about Notre Dame. I didn't hear about Clemson, Texas, uh, Florida State, Miami, all these other big-time Power 5 programs having tons of players out here week one and the game potentially being in the balance, as Lincoln Riley said. If Oklahoma is one of the only teams that's, that's, that has these really stringent contact tracing protocols and i'm just speculating here maybe it just happened to be this was oklahoma and that's what happened everybody else is doing the same thing and everybody else didn't have any issues week one but it's possible but it just seems unlikely based off of how nobody else seemed to have this issue where missouri state had everybody ready to go according to their president no problems at all but oklahoma was the one where uh, maybe we don't have enough players that's troubling to me well i mean it's probably because missouri state doesn't have the, the porch or logies uh, down wherever they're at and probably oh, the same yes, thing yes. same thing with Notre Dame I mean these are important things um <laughs> yes no and I really would I really wouldn't be shocked if Missouri State just locked all their players in a dungeon and said we have to get this check <laughs> you have <laughs> you're not going anywhere this game money. must be played um no and like I didn't really like I had games on um, all day long yesterday but I was being a good company man and also listening to all of our pregame coverage um, all day. So I basically had the games on mute. So if the commentators were talking about, oh yeah, so-and-so is out for Notre Dame, Duke, so-and-so has been out for Iowa State, Louisiana, sure. I didn't know about it. And I also didn't see any big reports on Twitter because OU was basically the only thing that the big national guys were saying like, hey, expect a significant amount of players uh, right, to miss right. the game tonight. Will it matter? No. Uh, could we see a, a scenario where OU doesn't cover? And they kind of barely did. I mean, they, they could have scored a lot more. Once they got to 40 points the game just um it seemed like it took another three hours to finish and my brother was saying it ended at 49 i don't know oh, really so i i mean oh to be honest i i wasn't checking the oklahoma line normally i'm all over it but no. for an fcs team I, I wasn't that into it no but i mean your your job um covering the games in person there 
at the stadium, I mean, your jobs are going to be harder because sometimes I have to do that covering the thunder. But fortunately for me, I just have to look for 15 tall humans. Like I, <laughs> yes. I just, there's only 15 guys I, I need to like find. That's um, a good point about the NBA. Yeah. It's easier to keep track of the guys. Exactly. Um, whereas you have to have the roster in your hand and know who, uh, oh, who was the kid who caught the touchdown from Tanner Mordecai? Finn, Finn Cor- Corwin? Yeah. Who the hell is this kid? You know, it's like right. number, you just have to like, you have to hold the roster in front of you and just go, okay, he's there, he's not, he's not, he's there, he's there, he's there. I was up top in the seventh level with uh, an extended lens on my camera and I had the, the roster and a pen and I was going through and say, okay, there's David Ogbuebu and I would mark him off. I'm trying to get down to the point of, okay, who is out there and who is not? And I, I was highly unsuccessful because it was, uh, I, yeah, I got into a time crunch, but yeah, anyways. I feel like we're going to be both highly unqualified to speak on this, but because you're a big J, maybe you have a little bit more knowledge than I do about this. But I feel like I feel like most of the holdouts from yesterday probably had something to do with contact tracing, and that I'm basing that off of rumors. Um, some That's reporting, yeah, contact tracing. Now with the Big Twelve rolling out the uh, spit test, the rapid test that gives you like 15 minute results. Uh, or results in 15 minutes. I feel like if, if the Big 12 is able to get that out to all their programs, I feel like as we get further along into the season, I have no doubt players will still test positive. And, um, you know, obviously I don't want to see that to anybody. I don't want to see anyone get sick. But I feel like that the contact trace um, uh, players that are out, I feel like that will decrease. Because if you just, on paper, if you have a test that's able to give you results quickly, then you know that that player is fine. See, and I know that going in, and, and I know the Big 12 announced that, the, what you mentioned, I think, this week, but I, I think it was always going to be where on Fridays they did the quick, rapid testing. And maybe it's different than the, the test that, that you talked about. But, the, you know, the, the Friday tests are always going to be the ones where it's, it's more, uh, it, it's quicker, so you know right away. And I hope that you're right about the contact tracing standards. I, it's, if, if Oklahoma's protocols are different than other teams, and that, that's essentially what I'm saying, I, and we don't know this, if, if, if they're different than other teams, it could be a problem because if they're one of the only teams that is implementing a rigorous contact tracing protocol, when even the guys are getting tested three times per week now that the games have, have started, I think they're going to be putting themselves at a competitive disadvantage to, to take Lincoln Riley's words from last week because I know the current CDC guidelines still say that if you may, if you may, have come into contact with somebody who has tested positive for COVID and you are asymptomatic and you also have already tested negative for the coronavirus that they still recommend that you quarantine for 14 days. And I know Oklahoma has said from the beginning that they followed all state and local guidelines, CDC guidelines, Oklahoma med has talked about how you know, they're very stringent with the COVID uh, COVID-19 protocols as well. So if Oklahoma is still using those CDC guidelines to this day for contact tracing, this could, and it continues and they don't change anything. I think this could be a long and annoying year of players constantly being out because they may or may not have gotten close to somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. And, you know, now that we're in September, we know a lot more about this virus than we did back in March and April, whenever the idea that, oh, I, I may have been exposed. I'm going to go quarantine, and people did that. And people are still doing that, obviously, based on the CDC. But the fact that the players are getting tested a lot more than the general public, I think that standard of contact tracing is absurd. And I think if you test negative, you should be able to play. 
And again, it's, we don't know how many people were out last around Saturday night because of contact tracing, but if it's the majority of them, and let's say they all had tested negative on Friday, but they were in quarantine because a few days earlier, they'd found out they might've been in contact with somebody that, that could happen all season long if it doesn't change. And I'm just afraid that if there's not a standard throughout college football of that, Oklahoma, if that's going to be its standard, it could be potentially at a disadvantage and there could be players missing here and there. And, and again, yeah, we don't know about Spencer Rattler as far as if, if he's gotten it or not. Uh, I have heard from other potential, I, I, you know, I, I think I've heard one way or the other from other sites, but I don't think I'm in a position to say it here, but, uh, if, if he has to miss because maybe he's a contact tracer, that would be horrible. Uh, and not just him, but every, any, anybody, I guess, I, you know, don't want to single out the quarterback. Yeah. So anyways, that, that's, sorry. That's my long kind of contact tracing COVID concerns. No, I mean, big question mark as the season moves on. No, I mean, you're exactly right because uh, I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to not only have to game plan for his opponent, but I mean, you guys have done a good job of describing what he's looked like um, in these weekly Zoom meetings the last few weeks. He just looks like a stressed human being. And it's because three times a week, he has to wait for a phone call for probably something like, okay, you're not going to have your starting left tackle, your starting right receiver. You know, who, like, I can only imagine what that does to a football coach when just coaching a program like OU is stressful enough. So oh, absolutely, uh, it's going to be a part of this season, unfortunately, but I, I don't know why. And I, I don't want this to seem like, because you kind of touched on it. I don't want this to seem like they're just going to go rogue. I, I feel like as we get deeper into the season, I feel like that those guidelines for, for contact tracing will be less. For, I feel like they'll be less they'll be lessened. I don't know why, just because I don't see how you can do this. If you're the only program doing it, because I don't know what Texas is doing. I don't know what OSU right, is doing. Thing. We don't know that stuff. I'm, I'm speculating. Sorry to cut you off, but no, that's, that's the thing is like, there's not, I don't think there's a uniform standard across college football. Of course it's college football. There is no uniform standard. It's right. just like everybody do whatever you want to do, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be the unfortunate thing because we're just not going to know. And it's hard for us when we're supposed to talk about, you know, a game five days a week and we're expecting Anton Harrison to make a start as an 18 year old freshman. And then, Oh, he's just not there. Um, and then I, in the <laughs> a pregame at the stadium, they announced, you know, you've been to games. They say, here's your probable starters for the night. They announced Stacy Wilkins as the starter at left tackle. And then it was Adrian Ely who started at left tackle, and Stacey Wilkins was nowhere to be found. You know, Bobby Petrino was like, all oh, those sneaky Sooners. I was prepared for Stacey Wilkins. Oh, well. <laughs> no, like, I, here's a dumb question. Did players, like, still go to um, the, the sidelines after the game and, like, uh, like, give handshakes to their friends and family? Let's see. I was paying attention when the game ended because I was curious to see what would happen. I saw Riley and Petrino do the handshake at midfield. I saw Riley shaking hands of like other coaches and other players came up like around the field. As far as after the game going to the sides, I didn't watch that. I'll be honest with you. I will say though, the first, I'm not sure what number of rows in the stands, probably like I know like the NFL, it's like the first six rows they are being blocked off. The first I don't know, three to six rows were those cardboard cutout things in the crowd. So maybe that was a way of them saying, yeah, we're, we're not going to want you to go and interact with fans after the game. But unfortunately, I can't give you 100% if they did or not, you know, if they had family there or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but they did have those cardboard cutouts in the first, first rows of the stands, which uh, 
I think cardboard cutouts are, are so dumb. I, I think the whole thing is really stupid, just to put that on the record, whether it's baseball or football. So, anyways, that's a non sequitur. Yeah, well, I, I would just assume if they are kind of interacting with their friends and family, I mean, that's fine because I think we've, I think we've all kind of understood like during this pandemic that um, we all have a circle of friends and family that if I get the coronavirus because I just hang out with my friend that I always hang out with, then I was just destined to get the damn thing because um, I, I, like, I like to be with my friends. I like to be with my family. So I have no doubt that it's okay for them to interact with their, their family. But I'm pretty sure Lincoln Riley is like, you stay away from the student section. Don't you go near the student section. Don't shake their hands. Don't acknowledge them. Don't look at them. They're gross. Yeah, that's just those lepers no. do not interact. Uh, Lee, before I get you out of here, and by the way, thank you for stopping by on the media corner. Like, I guess that's Absolutely. what we'll call that's what we'll call this for uh, the sure. Inside OU um, Monday podcast. But um, uh, let me let me let me think because again, it's Missouri State. There's only so much you can get excited for, but let's kind of talk about the Big 12 at large because uh, Keegan and I, we, we, of course, laughed about it for a few seconds. But, um, I mean, Kansas State, Iowa State, and Kansas all losing to bad teams. Mm. Texas Tech barely screeching by against um, Houston Baptist. Houston uh, Baptist, yeah. yeah. O- Oklahoma State, Tulsa's game is going to be um, – uh, that's going to be played next week, next weekend. Um, Texas took care of business against a bad UTEP team. Uh, West Virginia took care of business against a bad, uh, was it Eastern Kentucky or some, yes. di- some directional school, but, um, look, I don't care. We talked about this on the post game on the radio. This is the one year where strength of schedule, I, I think means nothing. If you win your conference, if you're one of the three power three uh, power five conferences playing, if you win your conference, even at, even if OE won their conference somehow losing two games, they're getting in. Hmm, interesting. And I, I, am, I hate two lost teams being predicted to go to the playoff. Like as a, you know, like I, I, was, I feel like if you lost two games in college football, then you had your chance to rebound and you failed. So uh-uh, you're not going to go lose three times right. and still be a playoff team. So um, I just feel like because there's no Ohio State, there's no Michigan, there's no Penn State or whatever, I feel like, OU's strength of schedule maybe being hurt by the Big 12 sucking in week one, I, I don't think it matters that much. I hope you're right. I will say, though, you know, we're, we follow college football. We know how it is. There's going to be people, especially in a year without the Big 10, without the Pac-12, there's going to be so many people that, that are college football fans and college football homers in the South that are going to say, oh, well, this is going to be the year where, of course, you get – two SEC teams in. Hey, maybe even you get three SEC teams in because the SEC is the best conference and they, they beat everybody. And for a few years, for a while, I, you know, I try my best to push back, push back. But yes, the SEC is probably the best conference. Are, is the SEC top heavy usually? Yes. But is the Big 12 top heavy usually? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so in your scenario, if Oklahoma would lose two games, I think that opens the door for a bunch of SEC teams to get in the, the college football playoff more than we probably would like, especially if there's a, you know, a, a two-loss SEC team and a two-loss OU team that, that won the Big 12. I mean... See, because I think that that would be the kicker. Like, obviously, if there are... Yeah, for, okay. I don't even know if this is mathematically possible, but if there's an undefeated SEC team that wins their conference and then two other one-loss teams, I don't even know if that's 
possible. But I don't, yeah, I don't either. Um, but in some weird scenario where that happens, I think that that third team just kind of gets leapfrogged by the fact that, well, OU won their conference. Like they, for whatever reason, maybe they lost a game because of contact tracing. Like they didn't have half their no, offensive that line. Like, you know, in. like that's going to play a factor. This, I mean, the college football committee is just silly. I, I hate that we have a committee. That's another story. But can they just uh, add playoff teams? I mean, Major League Baseball added playoff teams this year. NFL is adding playoff teams. Why not? They, they did that, right? They're adding yeah. an extra couple teams. Why not? I mean, they, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great thing to think about because I honestly haven't given that a whole lot of thought yet. I will say, though, if the contact tracing and COVID stuff, after watching one game and seeing – I mean, we know the offense is going to be really good. And now that – great, I'm, I'm going to jump to conclusions. But, man, if Kansas State – these other Big 12 teams are that bad, it's one week. I, I should know better. It's college football. It's just football in general. It's, it's going to change. I, I so badly want to just say, God, I, if COVID wasn't a concern, yeah, of course Oklahoma is going to go and win this conference. I mean, I, yeah, you kidding me? Well, but that, that, uh, I, I – probably you know i'm gonna take a step back don't want you to don't need to be a overreactor after one week well i mean that's why i feel like it's probably easier to predict now that OU will win the big 12 now on this podcast i i predicted them to lose two games this season because okay. i thought there were too many question marks and i thought the covid contact tracing thing was going to bite them in the ass at least once and that doesn't even include their inexplicable loss that OU seems to have every single year so um i picked them to lose two games but i feel like it's easier now to predict them to win the conference just because Kansas State, Iowa State, OU, they've all had disadvantages this offseason with guys missing time. But at the end of the day, OU's just more talented. They've had their their roster is deeper than Kansas State. So I think that, that plays into why Kansas State looked like crap and OU still look good because their their second guys, they're even their third guys, especially on offense, could probably go start at a school like Kansas State. Yeah, and it just goes back to the theory of just talent wins out. And whenever there's so much uncertainty, you hope that because of the recruiting and, and the, the amount of players you brought in at, of, of high-level talent, that that at the end of the day – I hate saying that. I hate saying at the end of the day. Well, uh, when it all comes day. down to it, uh, that will be the, the kicker, especially in a year like this. And I tend to agree with that. Uh, I mean, and, and, you know, why not? Because I, th I think if Oklahoma plays – who did uh, – I can't even think of who uh, – Louisiana. Actually, Louisiana that is supposed to be pretty solid this year that Iowa State I mean, lost to. They're, they're, a State. they're a team that has some talent, especially at the kill, yeah. skill positions every other year. So, I mean, it's still surprising Iowa State lost. But right, right. Um, I think people were predicting Iowa State to, like, barely eke by and win. And I was like, okay, I could see that. That makes sense. So, them losing – always start slow. Yeah. And I tried to remember that this year as I was doing pick stuff. And also, whoever – this is another sidebar. Whoever decided – that in Ames, Iowa, they wouldn't have any fans at all. That that person deserves some of the blame as well. They, Iowa's been fine with the coronavirus. They, they should have been able to have fans, at least whatever, 20, 25% of fans. Not sure if that would have mattered, but I think it would have helped. Anyway, that, I think that was ridiculous when you watch Iowa State, Jack Trice is empty, and then in Manhattan there's fans. Obviously in Norman there's fans, there's fans. Uh, that's a whole other thing that I thought was a bit bizarre especially considering Iowa State's got a pretty good home field advantage. But, yes, talent I, talent hopefully will win out for Oklahoma. And I feel a lot better about the Sooners' chances today than I, I did a few days ago whenever we recorded our, our uh, big mega podcast to preview the season. Lee, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Yeah, and we'll uh, look, college football season is long, so I'm pretty sure we'll probably have you back on. We'll probably cycle through 
um, you know, everybody that we end up having on this little portion of the podcast. But yeah, everybody, please go listen to the West of Everest podcast if you um, haven't already. Um, also check out Lee on News 9, doing all the awesome stuff on TV because he's important. Um, I'm just a lowly radio and podcast guy. So uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that, <laughs> but I appreciate the words though. Thank of course, you. <laughs> of course. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this portion. Now a word from not our sponsors and then Keegan Renault right after this. And he deleted his tweet. You need to tell that story again. You called somebody a clown Saturday night? <laughs> yeah, like I said, some guy tried to act like I wasn't... I, I I did not want football to happen. And I, I still don't get how people got that perspective from my tw- Twitter and all that. And then he deleted his tweet. So then I responded to my quote tweet from him. And then I called him a clown. Or a loser. <laughs> I think I called him a loser. So that felt good. Got that out of the way Saturday night. Yeah, a lot of people have been getting stuff out of the way oh, boy. <laughs> today. Uh, look, the pandemic's hard for everybody, and even even us. I I don't even when I say us, I I, I mean you, like you know journalists. Um, you, I'm only I'm only a journalist stop. during basketball season when the Thunder are playing. <laughs> no, I'm pure fanboy. Like yeah, I'm on the post game show for the franchise. Um, you know, an hour and a half or two whenever Toby Roland is mm-hmm. done talking. Yeah, we and, need to coordinate that next time. Yeah, um, look, it was my first time that I'd been doing it, mm-hmm. and like as a fan, like when I'm when I've been at games tailgating, and uh, I think last year I I popped on like I think two post games, but it was just because I walked by Cohiba Lounge near Campus Corner, and Sam and Colby were like doing their post game, and I just waved, and then Sam just kind of you know waved me over and said jump on. I was like, okay. Other than that, like when I'm listening, like after a game, I'm putting shit up, breaking down the tailgate, drinking. And whenever it like merges from OU's post game to the franchise's post game, I'm just like, I just think it's all one thing. So yeah, us sitting there in the studio after the that long, I loved that the fact that OU played football. Right. <laughs> um, but man, that was a hard, 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 hard crawl of a watch in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. But um, sitting through that, then sitting through another hour and a half, only to all right, we're going to talk for another hour about Spencer Rattler's first half, and then that's pretty much it. Let's stretch this crap out for now. <laughs> and I said this on Twitter, like we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this game, this first game, and just basically as the signal for fall football for OU in 2020. And we finally got it after waiting so long, after so much turmoil and questioning, moral stuff, legal stuff, we finally had it. And now we have to sit through a bye week. And then, and then Kansas State comes to town. It's like, how, how much further can we stretch this Missouri State shit? I'm stretching it all week. <laughs> no, the, I um, basically all day today was just finishing up. Like, tomorrow morning we'll go out and bunch. basically I'm just like closing the page on Missouri State. So I was able to stretch it out for Has Missouri three State days. ever been written about as much? I mean, no. even going back to the pandemic, like the lockdown, um, or like early summer when – it was starting to get reported that OU would allow Missouri state to like have like use their testing kits. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I I don't know if Missouri state has ever been typed more in a six month period than now. They, so funny enough, a little sidetrack here. Here we go. We're in the press box, right? And I'm in the, I'm on the very right side, which is where I was a year ago. Uh, and I'm right next to the visiting teams, medium, uh, medium member. 
And <laughs> he looks to me before the game. He's like, who did Oklahoma play last year? I was like, South Dakota. He goes, oh, well, Missouri, you know, Missouri State will be probably be some stiffer competition for Oklahoma than South Dakota was. And I was like, I kind of looked over at him. And I was like, really good guy. Wyatt Wheeler with, uh, I believe, the ledger from in Springfield or something like that. Yeah. Um, really good guy. Loved him. Loved working this alongside of him and talking to him. But when he said that to me, I was just like, uh, and like I know South Dakota didn't give Oklahoma any pushback, but that was way worse on Saturday night. Yeah, um, I'll say this: Missouri State, I felt like had a better quarterback than South Dakota. I, I, I he had some athleticism mm-hmm. to him, and um, when running for his he had a strong arm, he unfortunately for him, like he just wasn't very accurate with it. Like that arm punt he threw to Delarian Turner, yell. I mean, that was like dude's got a cannon. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know what's funny about him? So what? he was committed to play at Louisville. Yeah, under Bobby okay. Petrino. I was watching the game without the uh, sound on. Like, I there's another. We don't need to get into that silly story, but I I was watching the game without sound. But yeah, I, I figured that I was like, I'm See sure what this number kid, he was wearing. I'm sure this kid's like, I'm sure he's a former commit somewhere else. But no, what was he, he wearing? Number eight. Uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I was like sitting there. I'm like, yeah. I, it didn't really like connect for me until about halfway through the first first quarter. I'm like, man, this guy thinks he's Lamar Jackson. It's like, oh, no, you buddy, got, you, you got, got a long way. To you go. gotta have idols to look up to, man. You gotta have, gotta have heroes to look up to. I mean, I mean, kudos to him. He's playing college football. That's true. You, you and I are podcasting here on the Inside OU podcast, and uh, um, it's now Wednesday. It's Tuesday, excuse me. Um, I'm sure I'll put a little in between segment in between uh, the the segment with Lee Benson and now, but in case I get lazy and don't. Uh, that segment with Lee was on Sunday uh, afternoon following OU's win over Missouri State. And I didn't know that Lincoln Riley was going to, if he was going to have a presser this week because he typically doesn't have one mm-hmm. during bye weeks. But was it even a press conference? Because it wasn't aired on the franchise. He had to get some good PR in, Brady. Yeah. 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 So, okay, there have been some, not PR hits, but just PR questioning of like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me set up the scene today. So, Jeremiah, it, it goes Creed Humphrey, Theo Weiss, Jeremiah Hall. Who's awesome, by the way. Jer- Jeremiah? Yeah. Oh, awesome interview. Yeah. Love always talking to him, dealing with him. So, Jeremiah gets done, and he starts walking out of the press conference room that they have, whatever it's set up. I'm assuming it's in the red room. And you can hear Lincoln goes, Jeremiah, you warm him up for me? And then he didn't hear anything back. He's like, Jeremiah, you warm him up for me? And I was like... Okay, he's in a good mood today. Thank goodness it's been a stressful last two weeks for him, being in a good mood. Uh, but then, as you said, yeah, it, there was definitely he, I think, just, I don't want to make any assumptions here, but I think he realized that the way they approached last week kind of was not the way they should have approached it. I, I mean, in a way, I, I kind of don't. I don't blame it. Like it, it's just, it's a microcosm, which I hate the word microcosm because 2020, like it, like microcosm has been overused, like the word canceled or powerful. Like these three words have been used way too much in 2020, but I'm gonna, going to use it again. But I mean, that week leading up to Missouri state was like a microcosm of the entire pandemic in that when it all started, we all kind of went a little overboard in some ways with some of the, I guess, the understand or the lack of understanding, not necessarily the lack of understanding, but just uh, this is what we should do. 
Right. And, and a lot of it was just because we have no idea what's going to happen. We don't understand this virus. We don't understand how it affects anybody. At this point, we have kind of an idea, but not enough to just keep going in a certain direction. We have to just retreat. So it was a lot of stress. It was a lot of turmoil. A lot of people, unfortunately, lost jobs. You know, bad things happened. And over time, you kind of get more used to how things are going. We get more information on the virus, and we have a better understanding of who it affects. Therefore, those that don't you know, fall into that category are able to kind of mesh back into their normal life It's in some way, shape, or form. With OU football for Missouri State, it's just like we have no idea how this is going to look. We don't know. Like I, I know like f- the fan atmosphere is like low on the totem pole of the list of things that they are worrying about or caring about or questioning, but it's it's certainly on the table. Like, how is this going to feel? Football is such a visceral, emotional sport. And when you've got 90,000 people cheering for you or rooting against you, like it plays into your performance. It, it doesn't, people don't lose games because of the environment, but it makes it a little bit harder or a little bit easier. And um, that's been on the table. Like, I don't know how that's going to work. And with Lincoln Riley, he doesn't know who's going to be available. <laughs> he, he might have an idea on Wednesday and that can be drastically changed on Friday. And so I can understand the absolute stress, but it's just like anything in life where if you're like stressed about a test, you're stressed about it for a few weeks and then you start doing it and you're like, ah, it's not that bad. Then you take it, you might get a C or B or an A and then you're like, why did I stress about? What if you don't know the answers to 30 of those questions though? (laughs) That sounds like me in uh, about every non-history English (laughs) class. It's like, look, I I don't deal in absolutes. I'm I'm not a Sith. I I don't want to hang, you know, spend too much time you know, from my perspective, talking on the last week. But I will say I asked Lincoln today about if they expected uh, how many or whenever they expected these players to get back that were missing on Saturday night. And basically he said, I have no clue. And I was like, what? But it sounds as if with the way this contact tracing and the positive tests and everything for Oklahoma have been going, that Lincoln doesn't really know when these players will get back until – they show up, which is wild to me, but it makes a lot of sense. And then he also, I also asked him about just the importance of this week. And I think that, that if there was something that I'd like to start with, it would definitely be that because go ahead. if you need Eric Swenson to be your starting left, starting left tackle, he's got to get a lot better this week. Oh yeah. If you need Jarrett, John Michael Terry to be your starting defensive end, he's going to have to get a lot better this week. Yeah. And this is a huge week, I think, for the rest of the season for Oklahoma. And just in the essence of – I'm not saying that they're not going to get guys back. The anticipation is from the inside of the program that these guys will be back, most of them for the Kansas State game. Not all of them, but most of them will be back for the Kansas State game. But this also – you've got to have depth in case it does happen. And Eric Swenson wasn't dominant against Missouri State. Uh, John Michael Terry was good. He was solid, but you've got to get guys that are better than that. And, you know, Marcus Stripling was out. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas moved inside to defensive tackle, which that's something that was very interesting to see on the rewatch. Uh, And, you know, props to him. He was very active um, against Missouri State. And, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this, this is a huge week and Lincoln even contested that, you know, attested to that as well. Just how important this week is going to be for the guys that, they do get back to catch them up to speed, as well as the guys that played Saturday night that aren't necessarily starters 
having to improve from the performance of Saturday night. And I, my, you know, my first initial thoughts are about Eric Swenson, Marcus Major, uh, Tolston Rambo, maybe a little bit. Oh yeah. And then John Michael Terry. I think those four guys right in my, in those guys got to get better this week. And I know Charleston Rambo's a starter. I know there's a lot of high expectations. It may not be fair. And I may be hanging my hat on a little bit too much about the punt return that he did not look very elusive in and the drop in the end zone. But, yeah, I, you know, I, it's a huge week for Oklahoma this week, and I I think it's extremely important that they get a lot better this week, even if the guys like an Anton Harrison and Stacey Wilkins aren't back. The guys that are practicing have to get a lot better because there was – the offensive – you know, like I said a, a second ago, Eric Swenson wasn't a dominant against Missouri State. He hasn't and been I, dominant ever. No, he hasn't. No, he, he's been – at best, adequate. You know, he's been a guy that um, what was his name, Josiah St. John. Remember that 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 gigantic human being that the number one pick just, in the CFL that just tipped off Texas in 2015. Every every play with his stance, it's pass or it's run. You know, it was always it was that guy. Um, Swenson hasn't been like that, but yeah. he's never been a guy that's been so, like even solid in my opinion. So I mean, you go from and, Bobby Evans, Cody Ford to yeah, it's it's a culture shock. <laughs> no, I mean Lincoln like even alluded to it um, with you guys earlier in, in that yeah, if we didn't have a bye week this week, the starters would have played more. So this was an opportunity for an Eric Swenson to like showcase some development. This was an opportunity for Mark's major to showcase just a glimpse of what he's been touted as because yet we all understand the talent gap between OU and Missouri State. But if you've watched football enough, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You can always tell when a guy has something to bring to the table and in limited, you know, in limited amount of time on the field, we saw that out of Seth McGowan. We didn't see that out of Marcus Major. And I was watching the uh, coaches show with Lincoln Riley and uh, good old Dean from News 9 and uh, there was that one play where Marcus had an opportunity to break through an arm tackle, and if he had done it, done so, he would have busted out for 40, 50, might have even gone all the way to the house. And Lincoln was just talking it up so much, so that it just, it, but it, it seemed like a coach just begging for a player to like, please show me something, mm-hmm. like please, I want you to be good, not necessarily that, oh, just, just wait, like just wait on it, like Marcus is going to like burst at some point, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean. Th- let me use it again. It's a microcosm of the entire team in terms of depth because depth is going to be tested. Now, I don't know if it's going to matter that much against the Kansas State team, even though, like we've talked about the coach, Kleiman, respect him, great coach. He's going to have a game plan, at least on paper, to try and do something to stop OU, but they're not going to have the talent. They're not going to have anything to combat against OU unless – the OU's entire team is is in quarantine. And right. even and even still, like Kansas State lost to Arkansas State. We learned today that they didn't have, you know, eight starters and ten guys on their two two deep because of contact tracing or COVID positives. And our Kansas State lost to that team. I'm sorry. Like yeah, that's that, not they're, a good look. They're a bad team, but you're exactly right. This is a perfect opportunity for OU because the depth has to get better because it's going to continuously get tested all year long and we can just sit here and be optimistic about, well, now that the season has started, players should take it a little more seriously and being responsible. Like, I, I hate sitting here all fat and happy, being able to do what I want for the most part, and hoping that 18 to 22-year-old 
athletes don't get to go celebrate a good victory like with their friends or go out to the bars. But if they want to play football, though, you like Lincoln Riley has said, it's like there is a standard. Now there's even a higher standard of personal responsibility. But even saying that, Keegan, like with contact tracing, with those guidelines, they can do everything to a T perfectly, but it's really not up to them. You know, they're uh, a spoiled ass little student base that just, we just want to party. Uh, we just wanna. I mean, we wanna party. Look, no, 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 no. I get it. it it's this is difficult, but you I have drove, football. I drove by that place, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that was right into where the media parks. Yeah, it was right across. Well, the they did themselves no favor. And and look, look, I um, I'm, I'm not shame. I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and shame well, college kids. Well, but. I will. I will because <laughs> we pick and choose when to call them kids or adults, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, yes, it's college. I'm always a kid. You're, Just know I'm a kid. Yeah, always label it, me as well. It's college. You're free. Your parents aren't around. It's fun. Like, I, I remember. Um, I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and guess what I would do if I were in college during a pandemic. I, I'm an idiot. It is what it is. Um, but you have football if you are a student and know you. And that's a great thing. Unfortunately, you probably can't have both you can't have it both ways you can't have football and then party like nothing's going on out there like there has to be some personal accountability and i'm not saying you can't go to the bars you're not saying you can't have house parties and and stuff like that but there needs to be some personal responsibility taking place and having a like fucking woodstock out here in right in front of where the media is you're not doing yourself any favors now that reporter from the Norman Transcript did a fantastic job documenting yeah, I don't everything. Get why he now, got shamed. well, it's because people don't want to be told that they're doing something wrong when they don't want to uh, be held accountable. It's it's that simple. But people were also like of the idea that that Reese Morgan guy wanted to go do that. Like he was told to go do that from his, the Norman Transcript. So that's another part of this too, is to where I just didn't understand the the. You know, blowback against him. To your point, though, yeah, it was a little ridiculous seeing it. I was like, "What?" I was like, "I was like, guys, you can't like one thing." And like, people get mad at the media, obviously, for you know bringing it to light and kind of shaming them in that regard. But it's like, guys, like that's against the public. Yeah, you you know what's going on. You know what's going on. That was the gatherings right now aren't supposed to be bigger than twenty five to fifty people, right? Yeah, and I was actually shocked and happily shocked whenever um, I got to the studio for the franchise to go watch the game with Chisholm Holland and Matt Burton, and they were on campus doing all the pregame stuff for us all day long. And when they showed up, I expected to kind of hear stories about how it was like a madhouse or people everywhere. And I was like, so how it was, was it? Ghost. And they it were like, it was ghost, ghost town. town. I was like, wow, that that makes me happy. And, you know, I had to beg my dad um, – a few weeks ago because he was talking about maybe going to O'Connell's like we would typically do for road games. And I was like, please, please don't go. Cause it's going to like, there's going to be thousands of people around. My dad has diabetes. Like, right. was, please don't. And thankfully he stayed home and watched it with some family members. But, um, I'm glad that people, you know, use their brains in terms of people not really gathering all that much on campus corner or on campus, but I'm sorry. Like, I'll, I'll call them adults when they make adult decisions. And what 
we saw via social media that wasn't uh, those weren't adult decisions. It's hard to tell college kids what to do to not have fun. I get that, but if you want to have football, and OU's getting 800 positive cases a day, and that number is skyrocketing, according right, to Goddard. Dashboard. It can be something as simple as this. Stop getting my football players sick. <laughs> no, yeah, no, and I like, get that. Yeah, it, but you also have to think, too, though, like this other side of that is that a lot of those kids that were there were not going to the game. And yeah, but they're gonna but they're going to be on camp. But they're going to be on campus. They're going to be in class, and I'm sure the 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 team has like most of their courses online. I'm sure precautions are being taken. But when you're on a confined space of like a few miles, and you're all in the same dorms or going to the same restaurants and bars, it's mm-hmm. like you're not helping the cause of continuing Oklahoma foot Oklahoma football. And th- this is hard. Being an adult is hard. Um. I have gone out to bars, but like I've said a handful of times, I try to I avoid like the plague, <laughs> indoor things. I try to eat outside as much as possible. If I go out, I, I go to outdoor bars. If I ever want to go out, it's just it's inconvenient, and I miss going to Pony Boy. I miss going to um, you know stuff on Main Street, Norman. Like I, I miss it, but it'll come back. I hope someday. Yeah, and I'm laughing here, and you're seeing me laugh. I'm just thinking of the idea. You're talking about these players going to class. <laughs> like, get a, Shut bubble, up. get a bubble boy suit. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I won't say this n- player's name on the pod, but uh, I had a class when I was at OU, and this player would literally, when role was being taken, present, and then he'd get up and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, I'm just thinking of we like all, an OU football players walking around oh, the campus in uh, bubble boy suits. Because, I mean, at this point, based off what you heard the players talk about today in regards to that, it like they clearly are not ecstatic about the student body that's around them. But I know we talked about this Saturday night, but, yeah, they weren't uh, adhering to Joe Castiglione's guidelines no and joe c had to like call him out yeah he's like apparently our message wasn't read loud and clear Mm -hmm. and it just goes back to personal responsibility man if you want to be treated like an adult like there there were times when like to be fair there were times when i was a college kid where i'm like i'm an adult now but i'd act like a buffoon Mm -hmm. and if i didn't get treated like an adult looking back on it now it's like well no wonder and it's just frustrating just because we've been in this thing, this state of life for months now. And I get the college is back and I get that it's fun. I remember it's so much fun, but the game is different now. And in order for it to be a short window of time, relatively speaking to your college career, you've got to make some sacrifices. The football team is making sacrifices. Just like you said, they're not, they're probably not seeing their families or their, or their friends as frequently as they would want to. And the but, other point to that, too, as well as these coaches' families. Exactly. Imagine how strict they have to live their lives. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we could talk about this more and more and more. <laughs> and look, I don't want people to feel like that I am telling them how to live. But there is a way for this to work. Just like before the NBA bubble started, we all said our opinions on if it would work or not. But we all understood for it to work, players can't leave the bubble, invite IG models onto campus. They can't do anything or stupid. the lady that does the coronavirus testing for them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And for Daniel House, you're like, you're going to get an early ride home, and then your team's going to get their ass kicked, and Russell Westbrook's going to embarrass and himself. Gotta, and you got to see your wife. Oh, that Insta post was classic. 2020 has been harsh, but man, Daniel House just made it worse for himself. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Good God, you ready for? I, I, I think I want to get to a football take here. Yes. Marcus Major has a, and the people that have watched enough of Texas will get what I'm saying here. Keontae Ingram, ultra talented, physical back guy that can, has jump cuts very well, but. He always seems to run into traffic. You get what I'm saying? Like, whenever he hits a hole, either there's a backside cutting lane open or he just runs into traffic in front of him. I'm trying, and, I'm trying to think of an OU back because I, I know I can think of one. But I've keep been going. trying to think of one, but Marcus Major on Saturday night, I know it's just one game. I know he's a redshirt freshman. I know he hasn't played a football game in two years. Brandon Williams. I don't. I didn't remember. He enough. fumbled a lot, then he transferred to A and M. But go ahead. Yeah, and uh, but Marcus Major. I remember there was one play specifically. I think it was just a normal power. They pulled just one left guard over to the Missouri State sideline, and and it was Tyrese Robinson. And Tyrese Robinson was going to kick out the linebacker, and Marcus Major could have even followed him on his outside hip, or stuck his foot in the ground and gotten up field, and gone on his inside hip yeah he got ahead of Tyrese Robinson and it was like a three-yard gain if he would have put his foot in the ground and gone upfield it would have been a 25-30 yard run so I think Marcus Major has a, a problem of not understanding how to read up the, the set geometry up of the game and yes the, and this is comes back to the Kennedy Brooks conversation is Kennedy Brooks was so good at that. Yeah, like he was I, so patient. I've been critical of Kennedy Brooks in that he gets listed or categorized as a certain type of like a certain level of OU running back in terms of his importance to the offense, and I just disagree with that. Now, what you're saying, yeah, like Kennedy Brooks would have read that perfectly and turned that into a 40, 50, 60 mm-hmm. yard gain, um, it, and especially against Missouri State. Um, with no speed in the in the back end, I mean it's one of the slowest secondaries I've ever seen. Like uh, uh, slower than 20, 2018 Baylor secondary when Kyler like just lit them up. Like that was the slowest power five secondary I've ever seen. But anyway, Candy would have busted that right. wide open. And Candy like is a guy in my opinion that just doesn't have blazing speed. Mm-hmm. Like he typically gets caught. Right. But no, you're right. So and then you know I think the other big thing is just the fact after, you know, rewatching the game, I know I brought up that one play. It's been a patented by Oklahoma the last three years, that little pass run option to where there's like a draw concept off the backside of it. They tried to run it twice Saturday night. It didn't work. If, you know, wondering what I'm talking about, just go to my Twitter, I've, go to my media, and it'll be on there. You can go see it. That was kind of discouraging because the guy, the first time they ran it, and I know there was a play in the Peach Bowl, and I can remember it vividly because I stopped breaking down the game afterwards. No, it would, I didn't stop breaking down the game afterwards. It was early in the first quarter to where – That's where it ended. <laughs> I stopped. I think I stopped after Jalen Hurts threw a deep ball to CeeDee Lamb on a third and short whenever he had Charleston Rambo open on a curl on the LSU sideline. But back to the other night with Missouri State is that it looked like the offensive line was running one thing – the receivers were running something different, mm-hmm. and Spencer was on the page with the receivers. And then the second time they ran it, everybody was on the same page, 
but Adrian Ely got beat on an inside move. So discouraging in that aspect of it that you would think that would be a play that's crisp and clean with a bunch of experienced offensive linemen returning against a poorest defensive front that you're facing. But for the most part, I mean, and to what my grades will go out tomorrow, everybody graded out pretty good. I mean, yeah. it was it's hard to find flaws. I think that's the only one. And I think I'm going to – I have deducted the offense, just the overall grade because of that a little bit. But overall, I, I you know, like we talked about Saturday night after the game, is that it was a, it's a great foundation. They've got to build on it. They have to get better this week heading in that Kansas State game. Um Granted, I don't know if Kansas State's going to be able to block Oklahoma. Darion Winfrey got in the game. They're so bad, man. Yeah. Like, the, like they are because I I watched the, I went back and watched the full Arkansas State Kansas State game, and about the second quarter on, I'm like Arkansas State, their skill guys play like if you just switch jerseys with 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 of each team. That's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Like their skill guys just outplayed Kansas State, and I'm sitting here thinking like. Because, you know, it was a podcast or two ago where we're talking about, well, if, like, OU gets decimated by contact tracing at the skill position, it really won't affect them that much because they have, they have guys in, like, third, four string that could light up a team like Kansas State. Like it's Corwin. <laughs> Shout out Finn Trevin Corwin. West. Finn Corwin, man. Tre- Trevin West made some – he made some – He looked sun- good. He made some Sunday catches. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikey Henderson. I awesome. believe on my superlatives for – that recruiting class, I said straight to the portal was the title <laughs> for uh, for Trevin West, and I think I'm going to be eating crow on that one. The tar, the Stargate. Well, I mean, he could he could still end up like a, with a Michael Jones career for all we know. And like the thing is, is I liked Michael Jones. The few opportunities he got, yeah, he looked he, good in 2017. He, he made he made catches. He caught he caught contested balls, and I'm like, I like him as like a second option in the slot. He just unfortunately played for OU under Lincoln Riley from 2017 on. It's just like, sorry, there's just not room. Right. But I think he was hurt for 18, but it's, yeah. it was surprising when you go back and you break down a lot of the 2017 games, like Michael Jones got targeted by Baker a lot. Mm-hmm. Like he was a big part of the Kansas state game in Manhattan. He made like two or three big catches. Right. When, uh, Cause that was right before Hollywood blew up. So the why the core was still trying to like find themselves, I guess as a unit, but I don't uh, know if it's too early to bring this back up, Brady, and you're going to laugh at me whenever I say this because you know the back history to this. I spent much of this offseason trying to, with two minutes and 52 seconds of senior high school tape to figure out a comparison for Marvin Mims, and I was working back and forth and back and forth on a couple different guys. Yeah. After Saturday night, I'm glad I settled on the one I did. Mark? No, uh, hmm. Tyler Lockett. Oh, Tyler Lockett. Okay, that. Okay, I thought you were just going to do OU. That because no. that makes a lot more sense than Mark Clayton. Mm-hmm. We've only seen one damn game out of Marvin Mims, but um, the size would suggest like if you're an OU fan and you're trying to think like who does he remind you of? Sterling Shepard? No, Mark Clayton because mm-hmm. he was five eleven and fast. But it's from like, what I understand, and I don't know enough Oklahoma history at that point in time, that Mark Clayton's the second best receiver in the last twenty years. Uh, that really depends on. That really depends on how you just categorize it. Like I, I think Ceedee Lamb is in every category: NFL prospect, numbers, importance, superstar, anything. He's the best receiver OU's ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where it kind of gets into like my, the soft spot in my heart for Mark Clayton's number two. And I think you can make the argument Between that he's number two. Between him and Marquise, right? 
um, him, Marquise Brown, Sterling Shepard, and then freaking D.D. Westbrook, who won a Blitnikoff. He's the school's only Blitnikoff winner. Broyles. Ryan Broyles is good. I just th- – that era of Oklahoma football was just not good for me personally. <laughs> I, I, Ryan Broyles is still a fantastic player. I've never seen someone – I'm going to say this about him understand space better oh than yeah yeah oh absolutely gosh. um but go go watch that 20 what was it 2011 team when he got when he tore his acl yeah, against a&m no the him. offense just fell off the face of the earth mm-hmm. like the next i think the next game was in waco against rg3 and like oh you had a bunch of receivers that could not catch i think that was like the oh jordan something oh, i can't remember his name jazz reynolds era you know like guys just couldn't step into that spotlight. So Ryan, like Ryan Broyles, he can be top five, top six, but um, yeah, uh, Marvin Mims, he's my, like I told you, he's my new like favorite. Like I was excited for him beforehand, but just he played like a vet, dude. Yep. Like so first of all, Spencer Rattler threw him open on that deep ball, mm-hmm. um, but his adjustment, that's a vet move. Um, his understanding of there's a hole – Right in front of me on the punt return. I'm going to run as fast as I can that direction and, not, and I, not bullshit. That's where the Tyler Lockett for me came in. After I, that's a, the I game. think it's a really good comp, actually. Because like, he just got it and went and got it and went yeah, on both of them. Because the thing about If it wasn't for Brendan Walker in the way, he would have housed that one. Because the thing about Mark Clayton was that he didn't necessarily have the. F- I think he actually ran a 4 3, so this is going to sound silly, but. He didn't have the super burst acceleration when he would start running. What he was special at was just his stop-go ability. Like You just watch the 3 Texas game where he's just boom, 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 left, right, left, and then spins around and then just outruns Texas secondary from there. When he got in the open field, he was special. Mm-hmm. He even, like, the best play, my favorite Mark Clayton play ever was actually in that Kansas State 3 Big Tall Championship game at the end when OU's down 35-7 to and... I think Chuck Long called a wide receiver pass to Mark Clayton and he tried to like he tried to throw it but everybody was covered so he had to like take off and he was directing people in front of him to block and he spins out of a potential sandwich block and it's just like that dude is just electric so mm-hmm. but they're different types of runners I think Marvin is just more of a oh yeah I'm just like closer Mar- to Didi yeah I'm just I'm just faster than you so I'm just yeah. gonna run straight past you yeah it was tough to come up with an Oklahoma one because and I know I made the comparison, and I think it kind of rang true the other night that he is more akin to Dede and Sterling in 16 and 17, yeah. or 15 and 16, than Marquise and CD. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard for me to ignore the title Lockett, the title Lockett stuff. How about uh, Matt Liner? He, everybody the last four oh, yeah. days has been all over oh chill down on spencer rattler not a big deal it was missouri state blah 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 blah, blah. matt liner tonight the throws man like you can't deny the throws now wh- what questions we don't have is okay how does he handle himself under pressure from a consistent pass rush or a consistent front seven or a uh, a better secondary he might see a better secondary against Iowa State, but I mean, look how they look how they fared against Louisiana. 
Uh, Texas is always going to have the athletes, but their defensive woes have been well documented at this point. And they had I, a player quit it. How they have a player quit in the third quarter, BJ Foster, <laughs> and now he's back on the team because you know Texas just can't have the, like we all love each other. Like, no, the head coach is not on. He's not on the hot seat. Everything's fine down here in Austin. Look, Matthew McConaughey's on the sideline. He was on True Detective, Keegan. You see the they had two guys that did that actually. (laughs) Why? Like against UTEP. Here, here's here's the bad OU insider guy in me. I've watched every Big Twelve game except for Texas Tech, Houston Baptist, because I don't need to see that. What the hell happened in that game? And I also didn't I didn't watch a second of Texas UTEP. I haven't watched a replay yet. I mean, I was going to. I got a little busy. I might do it tomorrow. But why did B.J. Foster quit? Has that been like, did he get benched? He did, just did, thought he would get more playing time. What a man. Yeah. I mean, that, is, that is so yeah. on brand for the for them down there. Tea sipping <laughs> Austinites. <laughs> so it's uh. No, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what comes of this week for Oklahoma and then heading into that Kansas State game. Because I know I said on the post game, I mean, it's hard not to think of a Chris Kleiman coach team of that just being a fluke, you know? And I've, I, I have no doubt Kansas, like, Kansas State's going to, they're going to start better. They're going now to be, that they're offensive going, line's, there's no denying that offensive line bad. is trash. And the defensive line that they had last year and, and just the scheme that they had, that is. Even in that game, it was a one-trick pony. And fortunately for them, Charleston Rambo, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, was it him or was it Nick Bat? No, Nick Baskin threw the pass to Charleston Rambo. That got dropped. And it got dropped. If that doesn't happen, OU probably just ekes by and wins an ugly game like they did pretty much the entire rest of the year. But that little trick that they pulled scheme-wise, that really only shell-shocked OU for about a quarter and a half, and then OU settled in and just started to out-athlete Talk about the offensive line? Offensive and defensive, yeah. the Where they would pull the guard and then kind of bring him to back. Go, and then on the defensive line, yeah, to go against OU slanting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, shit like that works initially. But once you're going up against a better team, they they will eventually calm down. I'm almost, I'm still shocked that Kenneth Murray became a first round pick be, I, I, with that game on tape. Hey, he had oh eight, I think he had eight Lord. or nine tackles on Sunday. He, he did. He did. Yeah, he had eight tackles, four solos. It was a good weekend for everybody of the NFL for Oklahoma besides uh, Old Baker. Good Lord. And Austin and, Seibert. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. How? Well, why did he – he was so good for them and they just cut him after one bad game? Is that just kickers in the NFL? Am I unaware of this? That Cleveland's kind of a silly organization. And then three, This and this is going to sound mean because I know Austin Seibert's like cool on social media. Not on social anymore, by the way. Um, I thought last year was just it, – it really surprised me because Austin yeah. Seibert as a kicker at OU was one way. Him as a kicker in the NFL was – a in a much different way, and it was better. He should have punted in the NFL. Now, yeah, perhaps so. Now, I know people will probably be really quick to scream and say, well, he had to punt too and kick off, and it's like, yeah, that's an extra thing on his plate. And may- I, I, I don't know how to kick. I, I don't know how to punt at the college level. I don't know if that greatly develops your de- hinders your development as a kicker one way or the other i don't know why it would you're not running extra in practice you know you're still doing the same stuff special teams wise i assume i don't see how that could take away from the fact that it seemed like every time OU needed a a clutch field goal with cyber he'd miss it like he lined up for that 
go-ahead, you know, game-winning field goal against Army. And I was watching that when I was um, working at the station at KFOR for a summer. And I was standing next to Brian Brinkley. We were just watching that. Cybert lines up for it. I was like, he's going to miss this. Watch. Boom! Wide left. Yeah, it's he, like, he that, did. Doesn't, doesn't surprise me. He did miss some big kicks back um, during his days at Oklahoma. He was a he was a good, consistent player, and we don't need to talk about the Rose Bowl, but he he kicked it directly into a front line guy, which is not what you're supposed to do on a squib <laughs> kick. Like no, he did not call it an onside kick. Like oh, you got away with that in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama at the very end. Yeah, like I remember that yeah, Nick, you, Ho- Nick Hodgson, the best kickoff kicker and he, in Oklahoma, and, and he Oklahoma recovered history, it himself. Yeah. It was like the biggest like walk off <laughs> like ball dropping move in the history of football. No, um, I, I saw a picture though about Baker today. Yeah, I was going through this. Uh, the I was going for Sooners in the NFL post. There's a picture, and you're getting a baseball analogy here. Baseball analysis here is that like third baseman specifically shortstops and second baseman can get away with it a little bit more, but third baseman that like step way too far away and like throw, you know, not directly aimed at the first baseman whenever they throw, yep. they typically leave balls up and away and they leave balls up and away and they leave balls up and away. And there's a picture on from in our imagine in the back on our, Oh gosh, I just completely forgot what on our back end mm-hmm. that, like he is stepping to where the left tackle's at and throwing the football down the middle of the field or towards the left hash. It's like, like that's not what you're taught to do. Like, well, was that the play that where the ball got tipped? No, I don't know what play it was specifically. Um, but I just know like, and I know Patrick Mahomes can do it. I know, but I mean, when Baker's at his best, and the, whenever I think of Baker Mayfield, I think of the touchdown pass to Jeff Bidette in the OU Texas game. Yeah. where he was feet weren't set, and then he just flipped his hips, got everything lined up, and threw a missile. And I think Baker is at his best. One, it's hard to give him a true eval. I said this um, on Sunday that because he's had four head coaches in three years, and this is me being contradicting of myself because Jalen Hurts has had the same issues. But well, He didn't give you your quotes, though. T- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Baker was great. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, too, it's like, man, like, what made you really good was that you were very fundamentally sound. You had you had great timing. You always put footballs to where your wide receivers could get it. And holy crap. And I know it's one game. I'm not going to overreact completely to one game. And I'm not saying he needs to be replaced. And I'm sure the Browns don't think that. Everybody else besides OBJ and Jarvis Landry probably don't think that. But, I mean, he was awful. He oh, was, yeah, he was he bad. Was, he was really bad on Sunday. Yeah, some of it is Baltimore's really effing good. Um, but number two, like, look, I'm, I'm disappointed in Baker Mayfield and I love, I love him to death. He's one of my favorite Sooners of all time. Like just every other OU fan, um, the positive excuses are there, but with Baker, the pause, like the realistic excuses are, are true. Unfortunately, like we went through this same song and dance with Sam Bradford and the thing with Sam, like more so than like the coaching turmoil that he had to endure, was he just couldn't stay healthy. When he was healthy and upright, he could deliver the football all over the field. He was unbelievable he was, his rookie year. Yeah, John Gruden would just lull him to like this is one of the best quarterbacks I've ever studied. When he's healthy, he's accurate as as hell. And it's like, yeah, any OU fan that watched him in college and then watched him when he was healthy in the NFL could tell you that. But the thing with Baker is, um, he he was supposed to like 
he was supposed to be the guy to help change Cleveland into a a culture of we're not crap anymore. And I think Cleveland got a little too big for their britches too fast because then they started adding a bunch of weird, crazy people while not having a competent head coach. Mm-hmm. Like I, their their current guy, I don't know if he's good or not, but Stefanski. Stefanski. Um, like they they needed they need someone with like they need like a of course like a Bill Belichick. Everybody would want that, but they need like a like a voice where accountability is had and. If that's not going to come from the head coach, you would want it to come from Baker. And I have no doubt Baker's trying his damnedest to lead his team, but when you've got OBJ and, like, I'm a Dolphins fan. Jarvis Landry is incredibly talented. The guy is kind of a weirdo. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't I don't know if General Patton can get those guys to, like, be motivated and play team whatever. I know a guy. Who? He sells tequila. No, Okay. Really? When when did he do that? Don't say the sugar bowl. <laughs> like, please draw me a picture of when he did that, other than two thousand and the sugar bowl. I'm just joking around, Brady. No, he he feasted on. All right, all feasted, right, all right. We know what he feasted right. on. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know uh, they made Mark tequi- Andrews catches two touchdowns. I didn't know they made tequila in Tuscany. Yeah, Mark Andrews is uh, unbelievable in the NFL. No, did that Cleveland Baltimore game make every OU trigger every OU fan? Not just because Baker Mayfield was playing bad and it was hard to watch, but because that when Cleveland and Baltimore play, it's like a terrible reminder that the 2017 team did not win a national championship. Right. It's just like sure. every play, there is a damn sooner making a badass play. Yeah, no, there was. And then Marquise Brown had five and, catches. And for Orlando Brown out yards. there pulling and like. Killing people, just like oh, the video of Trent Williams from the weekend. <laughs> oh my lord! Just on a crackback, just boom. Was he like that in college? I don't remember. I don't remember. Obviously, showing my youth here, but I don't remember him. All Trent, that much. I remember Trent was he was on the 08 national title, Florida, like when they lost to Florida offensive line. But that offensive line was heralded by Duke Robinson and Phil Lodeholt. Phil Lodeholt was great. Holding, but he was, holding, but he holding, was, holding. but he was mainly known because he was the the largest human being I've seen this side of Taco Fall, and Taco Fall is just tall. Mm-hmm. Um, Duke Robinson was like the All American on that offensive line, and then John Cooper at center, Brandon Walker was a solid starter. Uh, Trent Williams was probably probably the most talented of them, but he didn't really get to showcase himself until 2009, and unfortunately, that was the the injury plague year. And he had to play all over the offensive line. Um, they, I think, I can't remember if John Cooper was the center for he or if he graduated in 08. But whoever it was to start got hurt because it forced Brody Eldridge, a tight end, a blocking tight end, to play center. And he played phenomenally well. But then he got hurt. And then Trent Williams had to play center in the Sun Bowl that year. So a, the best left tackle in the last 25 years in the NFL played center in his last collegiate football game and uh so basically what i'm trying to say is trent was probably like that he unfortunately was never able to showcase it because he was the best guy on a injury plagued offensive line but Mm -hmm. yeah he is like he's like probably the only offensive lineman that you could pull up a highlight reel of because he just has like all plays like that in droves Mm -hmm. and then also kyle murray kicked ass that day oh 
or they, him and DeAndre Hopkins are going to be a lot of fun. Like my buddy is a diehard 49ers fan, and I uh, I watched the Super Bowl with him, and I unfortunately told him my opinion during the game of like, hey, if Kansas City's offense wakes up, I don't have any. I've never liked Jimmy Garoppolo. He he does nothing for me. He is such a game manager. Yeah, and I don't like game managing quarterbacks. They bore me to tears. And exactly that thing happened. And like my buddy's just like, oh no no no, they got it in the bag. And you like Jimmy Garoppolo's awesome. Shut up. And then Kansas City woke up, and Jimmy couldn't do anything about it. And then like I had to see my friend just like be miserable. I I've had to watch my team lose national titles. I don't know what it'd be like to watch my team lose a Super Bowl because I'm a <laughs> Dolphins fan. Um, yeah. And I was I was having an argument with him over the weekend of like, hey man, maybe Sam Frank can get Kyler Murray someday. And he was like. No, he was like doubling down on Jimmy Garoppolo being better and Kyle Murray's just a running quarterback. And I'm like, no, he's not. Stop. Yeah, but oh my Lord, did he put a show on with his feet. I almost find more entertainment, and I know where you're going to go with this after I say this. I won't pull that up. Um, I, I almost find more entertainment watching him evade NFL defensive linemen in the pocket than I do watching him throw the football. Oh, the Barry Sanders thing? It's fascinating. Yeah. Like, Nick, uh, is it Nick? Nick Bosa that plays for the, uh, or is it Joey that plays for the 49ers? Nick Nick, Bosa. Nick Bosa. He's the MAGA guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Probably a a QAnon type. (laughs) But uh, he, uh, there was a couple times where he was getting, getting in the backfield and Kyler was just skipping around them and like they couldn't do anything about it and it was so much fun to watch yeah but the cardinals have gotten a lot better which is fascinating to me because cliff's teams outside of 2013 right when they were 7-0 when they came into norman or something like that that was baker's team wasn't it he was hurt when they came into Norman, but that was I think that was Baker's team. I thought no, it was 2014. 20, I thought it was 2013 whenever they were undefeated and No, no, no. 2014 Baker was on campus. 2013 was the Sugar Bowl ugh, the Sugar Bowl OU year. Yeah. And then and then Baker just famously out. like went up to Bob after the Sugar Bowl and said, "Hey, I'm Baker Mayfield. I'm going to come play quarterback." And Bob's no like, one actually believes "Uh, who are you?" Yeah, allegedly. I do believe that cuz I don't I, I think Bob's more of like a Steve Spurrier type of like yeah, uh, you uh, thirteen. Go over that. Do you not know your? <laughs> do you not know your players' names? No, that's Tom Herman. No, but, not no more. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, it's fascinating to see how good the Cardinals have gotten. Like they, and I know adding a uh, the number probably the best wide receiver in the NFL helps a little bit. I mean, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. Who who else? I mean, is there anybody else that's even in that conversation? I mean, I I'd put Kenny Stills in that. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, just I'm just but. But I mean, they but they've gotten a lot better, and they were very good not just offensively in their schemes, but physical. Their defense was good. Chandler Jones, Isaiah Simmons got his welcome to the NFL moment. Isaiah Mostart, the running back, yeah. did a little angle route, and Isaiah Simmons got caught peeking in the backfield and thinking he could catch up to him. Well, see, it's weird because Kyler is a great leader. Mm-hmm. He's a different type of leader than Baker, but I think. Early on, and even going back in the last year, we're seeing Kyler. Like Kyler Murray influenced Larry Fitzgerald's old ass to come back because he wanted to play with Kyler. Right. Like this is what I expected to see Baker do for Cleveland, and a lot of that's outside of his hands because Cleveland's a silly run, a, a yeah, comedically in terms run organization. Of culture, Larry Fitzgerald's a little bit different than Odell Ex- Beckham Jr. Ex- exactly. And when Larry Fitzgerald is endorsing you, like when Larry was like hyping up Kyler last off season, his rookie year, saying like I've never seen a 
a kid like this. It's incredible. I'm like, wow, Kyler's actually, because I was always afraid for Cliff being his coach and then him just being so small. Mm-hmm. But him being so small, like, I think has played into, like, that escapability and that ability to um, avoid contact because he's just so agile. He's like, if Mark Clayton was smaller, like I just talked about his stop-go ability, if Mark Clayton was smaller, he'd be like Kyler Murray. Right. I thought Lincoln's comments a couple years ago about Kyler was still the best, that he hasn't seen anybody not be able to take a hit like that like since Barry Sanders, which was – now you look back on it, it was like, damn, Lincoln foreshadowed Kyler's entire yeah. future. He's the, he's the antithesis of Adrian Peterson, who's just like, I'm in the open field. But there's a safety over there. I, I want to go. I want to crush that. <laughs> <laughs> For and, sure. And 80s old old self almost had a hundred yards. Like, I, man, I love him. Best best Detroit line running back I've ever seen. He. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, no, I think it is another part of that though with the Cardinal success. Like, if Cliff Kingsbury becomes a successful NFL head coach, awful at Texas Tech. Matt Wells, obviously, I was a lot higher on him than I probably should have been. Um, I know it's one game against Houston Baptist, but yikes. I mean, how much credence does that give to what Mike Leach did in Lubbock? Holy cow. I mean, it's, Cliff it, could just, get it going. It's further LOL at Texas Tech. Now, I think Matt Wells is a good coach, but he's inheriting not a lot. Right. So sure. he's got, This is a four-year rebuild for him. Exactly. If he, I hope he gets four years because I think he's a good coach. But, um, no, I mean, Tech – made their bed now they have to lie in it for the next 20 30 years until they're ever relevant again but um like cliff being successful in the nfl was always my um oh you need to hurry up and win a national title quick with lincoln because if cliff has success in the nfl i think that's going to increase the competitive competitive juice of lincoln riley i know i don't know if i've brought it up on this podcast and you know this information but People better be paying close attention to what the Arizona, not the Arizona Cardinals, what the Atlanta Falcons do this year. And Sunday's not a good start. And I'm not saying that Lincoln, it's like a, not even a 50% thing that he goes off to the NFL. The Falcons drop opens up. Yeah. I'm just saying that. Lincoln Riley and, Atlanta, and the Atlanta Falcons, I feel like I've heard that sentence before. I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean. I'm not sitting here trying to start rumors or rumblings or anything, but no, it's, it's just it's just it could it's bullshit, you know. Just two guys talking. Yeah, and uh, it's fast. I've heard the autonomy with the Falcons is very could be influential to that. So be I'm not saying to be on edge. Or Arthur Blank's a good owner. Exactly. Ownership's pretty good. And uh, they don't make quick decisions. They've given this head coach a long leash, and uh, but they got absolutely steamrolled by the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. So they may be moving closer to making it a change, which I think it would be fascinating because if it pans out as if it did that did happen and they went in and Oklahoma wins a national championship in 2021 and then the number one quarterback. Hell, they're going to win one this year, Keegan. Are they? <laughs> I mean, hell, I mean, they've wow. got a good chance. What do you th- what do you, what do you think on this Ohio State thing? Because I need I need to ask you because you were tweeting up a, a laugh storm at the Big Ten. I don't know what happened. I was um, I was actually grocery shopping with my mom because I don't know if you know this, Keegan, but I'm incredibly broke, and I've had no food in my fridge. It looked like college in my fridge. I had like three beers from Coop and uh, 
damn uh, old college kid. Three beers from Coop and like some expired turkey bacon. That's all I had. And so my mom was like, she just got back from vacation. She's like, do you want to go to the grocery store? I was like, thank God. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'm so hungry. And uh, that's when Lincoln had his press conference. But you were like laughing at the Big Ten. Then Ohio State puts out this like little cryptic gif and Nebraska hot mic. Yeah. Gay. Like what's like, w- tell me what's going on. So it's just another day in the Big Ten. Really, Brady. They're funny. They, uh, you have the Nebraska chancellor or AD or whoever it was got caught on a high mi- hot mic saying a Big Ten decision was coming tonight. Just another on the long list of rumors that have come out of the Big Ten for the last month that have not come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And it just cracks me up. Then, and, and you know, I've said this before. Like, just stop talking. If they would just shut up at the Big Ten would. They need to just constantly have the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia music playing whenever they do talk. The the gang f***s up again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The gang talks out of turn again. But where I'm at is obviously the conversation is if we should have let the Big Ten play in the playoff. And where I'm at is... No. Is if the Big Ten... If we're going to allow the SEC to play a conference-only schedule and for them to get a participant at the, you know, to get a, a seat at the table, if the Big Ten, if they make Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin play each other in like the first six weeks of the season, like if they, if that's how they can schedule it up, or the first seven games, or you know, to where it's, you have a pretty good idea of how good the team is. Sure. I don't have a. I don't have a huge. Problem I have a huge. I have a huge problem with it because not playing one game is. You can get away with that because some teams play, f- one more game than other teams anyway. Where I have a problem with it is if they're only playing six, seven games, they're in theory they're going to be much healthier than the teams that played an enti- a full a full twenty twenty pandemic right. schedule. That's not fair. So, like, I'm sorry, if the Big Ten wanted to play football in the fall, they should have listened to all the information that you had, that doctors had, that politicians had, that those damn presidents of the Big Ten had, and they felt compelled They felt compelled enough to just say, we're going to have all these 30,000 pieces of money come onto campus because that's what we want. That's fine. We're not going to play football. Sorry, you already made your decision. Because the SEC and the Big Ten could have had some partnership where they played a non-conference game against one there, so everybody has the same amount of games played. Them playing now is just absolute... I'm an only child, but I've seen this as a human being. When there are siblings, and one sibling gets a toy, and the other one wants it, because the not because they want that toy, but it's because their brother or sister is playing with it at that moment. Like, I want it now! So the Big Ten's like oh, we want to play football too, and we want to just kind of only play five or six games and then get rewarded for a college football playoff. No, f*** you. Stay home and go play in the spring, you idiots. Yeah, if they can get eight games in, so their rumored start is October 17th, birthday week for me. Thanks in advance for telling me. Yeah. But – Well, when is your birthday? The 15th. The 15th. Yeah. Uh, October October 8th. Thank you, by the way. Oh, really? Every five years, it's, it's on the day of OU Texas. That has to be. Thankfully, a, this year did. I thought this year was going to put a monkey wrench in that, but it's the like second Saturday in October, baby. Every <laughs> five years. Uh, but uh, if they can get eight games in, and as I said, that would be my very heavy stipulation: Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. If those four teams 
play each other in the first eight, first seven, eight weeks of the season, I mean, you have a pretty good idea of how good this team is, how good one of those teams is. And my point to that is, and I would, this isn't, you know, probably the thought of most people, but I mean, those three games Ohio State would play against Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin is a hell of a lot tougher than anything Oklahoma is going to play this year. Well, sure, but Oklahoma went through the trials and tribulations and all the stress. Sure. You know, so the Big Ten is basically just going to be standing on the shoulders of people pioneering through a pandemic trying to get football season the, a football season played. I'm sorry, but that that is simply not fair. Like, they've been practicing, yes. They've been conducting themselves as if they were going to play because they, A, want it to happen, and B, if they get their wish, they need to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they have not sniffed the amount of stress that Lincoln Riley ha- has had. They have not sniffed the stress that Adabo Sweeney has had over the last two weeks because, like we talked about at the beginning Dabo of the show. hasn't had any. No, 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 no. He probably had the same stress Lincoln Riley was dealing with because— Dabo just said everybody go get this thing and come back in. Well, I know. But just, <laughs> just from the basic human yeah, standpoint you know, of like— sure. We know the season is going to start. We have no idea what it's going to look like, and that's a little frightening and uneasy. So I can only imagine what these coaches who it's already stressful to be a D1 college football coach. Also, you have to be kind of a public health official this year. Mm -hmm. It's like, what? Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Like, we've all kind of had to have a crash course in epidemiology, medical science, politics. You know, we've had to jump into realms that we did not want to be in, you know, as you know, you as a journalist, me as a thunder. As a journalist. Yeah, well, not, not on Inside OU. I'm just talking. Um, no, it, it's – I'm sorry. that The Big Ten just – you had your chance, and you thought you were going to be the uppity, smart guy in the room, and everybody else was like, well, no. Like, no, not uh, yet. No, no, no. The Pac-12 is burning to the ground, literally. I mean, prayers to our West Coast friends. Um, now I will but, say, but I'm sure they don't really give a damn about football right now. You people are going to hate me for saying this. You people, you will hate me for that. What I'm about to say. I see. Memphis, Arkansas state. We're playing all these games without all these starters in the in depth chart. It kind of does give credence to, Okay. These Big Ten, until we had these daily tests, which is what the Big Ten's going to be, I believe, going to be doing, to where they're going to be testing five times a week, that it's going to be hard to manage this thing. And contact tracing is going to have to happen to an extreme extent. Yeah, but we, we knew that months ago. Right, but we didn't have, they didn't have the daily testing available. And now they do, if but, they want to spend the money. But on. we assumed that we would have the daily testing. No, I mean, yeah, or or, or, or multiple tests or rapid tests like we have on Fridays now. Yeah, for like, sure. We now, assume that needs to expand. In my opinion, if that I'm needs the Big to. 12, that has to expand because you can't have a situation like what happened with Oklahoma on Saturday. Exactly. In terms of national exposure, in terms of TV dollars, it's going to hurt the product. So that's if there is any credence to the big the, the dumpster fire that's been the Big Ten, Pac-12 props to them. Because they have, if the Big Ten has been as transparent as the Pac-12 has been, nobody would be making fun of them. Yeah. But the problem is, is they're making a joke of themselves every day of every single week. And, oh, rumor this, rumor that. 80s talking to this media member. Coaches talking to these media members. Just shut up. That's been my biggest thing. Yeah. So, but I will say, Oklahoma game the other night, 30-plus guys in quarantine – that's a problem. 
and maybe that gives to the we need to move you know bump up to this rapid test to daily testing to where we avoid it but back to the whole conversation that we started with anyways i'm definitely on board because ohio state's gonna be really freaking good like if there's a chance we can get an ohio state alabama florida clemson notre dame oklahoma According to the FPI index on ESPN Texas, if we can get a playoff to where these teams are playing each other, Brady, that's a hell of a lot of fun. And I and I think <sighs> and it, it would be great for the sport if we can get a real, true college football playoff. Now, granted, there's a lot of conversation about, oh, well, these teams have had an extra month to prepare for the season. They're not playing as many games. Ohio State typically has a hiccup every, every year. They lose to somebody they're not supposed to, like Oklahoma. And, and just the mindsets are not consistent across the board. Yeah, you know, for we're sure. not we're not, we're playing the same football game. We're not playing the same game, though. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, and that, that's my thing. Like, I'm not an idiot. I know if if the Big Ten was playing football, Ohio State would be a gigantic hurdle for OU to get into the playoff. And if they matched up with Ohio State, it'd be. Oh, Ohio Bad. State's good. Ohio State, yeah. It's gonna be they really are very, good. very good. And but, I want to see Justin Fields, and I want to see Trey Sermon. I want to see Ohio State play football, but their league failed them, and their chance has passed. I'm sorry. They're not on the same level right now mm-hmm. in terms of playing the same amount of games on a basic level. Like College football is silly, and this year has made it appear so much more silly. And if they allow the Big Ten to just start a month and a half later, and then get treated as if they've, like everybody else in the Power Five that's started and gone through the trials and tribulations, Mm -hmm. then college football is an even larger sham of an organization and just whatever you want to consider it than it already is. I would just love to see the game. If I I, I would love to see Ohio State play Alabama. I would too, but they made their bed. For sure. I would have loved to see James Harden play for the Thunder for a lot longer. That's a different, that's apples and oranges. Deci- a decision was made. Correct. That, that is that is a what we are basically talking about here. The Big Ten made a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have loved to see Kevin Durant stay in Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant made a decision. You know, it's it's as simple as that. Yeah, but it wasn't Ohio State's fault. No, but they're in the Big Ten for sure. And, and, and I know and the that has helped in general. That, that has helped them. Mm-hmm. In fact, it helped them in, in the initial college football playoff to win a national title because there were two other teams, more so one. TCU, that was just as deserving to get in yeah, than they were, but because they were in the big old 10 and, yeah. oh, these wacky Big 12 teams and it wasn't OU or Texas. So um, now the it's Big helped 12's, them. The Big 12's fault that year was specifically, though, was about not w- – they weren't willing to name a true champion as well as – One and true champion. And as well as the – you can't tell me the helmet, the sticker on the helmet didn't Oh, of course. That. But, yeah, I mean, I just – I don't know. I feel like it would be an even playing field at that point in my personal feelings and opinion, but I definitely would understand if the playoff committee and all these people said, well, you played eight games. You got a month ahead of practice. Um, You guys were able – more players, you know, probably were able to get COVID, so you have less players being out. Uh, And those things, yeah, I mean, definitely favors the Big Ten for a football season in the fall – but 
I guess now my here's a rebuttal back to that. Maybe another point here. What if the season ends for the Big Ten on December the seventeenth? I think it would be this year. Yeah. And then you force them to turn around and play the playoff in two weeks, while other teams get two weeks to prepare. I don't think that would be as bad. But I mean, that's just me sh- trying to come up with ideas. I just. I would, I guess, the football junkie in me would love to see whether it, or Penn State. Penn State's going to be really good this year too. So. Here, here, you know what? If you really want the Big Ten to start a month and a half later and then be a part of the college football playoff, they would have to then say, and they wouldn't do this because they want Ohio State in the damn playoff for the money. Mm-hmm. But in an ideal world, it's like, okay, okay, like you've complained enough. We're tired of hearing you bitch and moan. We'll let you in your little college football playoff, but. You have to have you one of y'all have to be undefeated, and uh, the other guys have to if they're not undefeated or even with a one loss champion, you're not jumping any of them. Yeah, if Florida, so like say Florida in this in the is an at large like sorry, if Florida and Alabama meet in the SEC championship and they're both undefeated, like sorry, I'm sorry, they're yeah. both really freaking good. Sorry, you should have uh, not been a know it all. It's going to be really tough this year from a optics perspective to hear the SEC people all year long but to their point and to their beliefs like Georgia has to play Florida Alabama now Florida I mean those are on the schedule already but I believe they have to play A&M again or something I mean they that SEC schedule this year is gonna be a freaking gauntlet I mean the athletes they're gonna have to go up against week in and week out um it's gonna be a lot it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm gonna have what have a maybe the SEC what what is their phrase? It's the South will rise again. Oh God! <laughs> oh God! Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Old habits die hard. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, big, I mean, SC the ACC is terrible. Florida State losing to Georgia Tech, not good for the brand. Not good for the brand. So no, um, no, it isn't. It isn't. Um, can we real quick segue back? This is a good one. I I like this conversation. Um, this whole podcast. This is going to be a long one, but hey, it's a bye week, so hey, OU fans, you got a lot of content to listen to. And West of Everest, I think, will drop their podcast today. We had Lee Benson on um, about two hours ago, I think, at this point, <laughs> if you're still listening this far into it. Um, I'll, I'll get, I'll try and get Grant on so we can have the full thing um, whenever on a Sunday, but um, there's, a lot of, there's just a lot of OU content for this week for everybody. But I want to go to Charleston Rambo because you mentioned him a long time ago in this in this show, and um, I, my question to you, Keegan, is because we didn't really talk about him that much in the off season. I think we just all assumed, and rightfully so. I mean, oh, he's going to have guys that are going to catch the ball. Are they going to find like a guy to replace Ceedee Lamb? Well, that would be surprising because Ceedee Lamb is the best receiver in school history. And speaking of Grant. I hope he's on the wants to jump on the show because he thinks Ryan Broyles is the best one in history, and I want to. That's a yikes uh, take. Yeah, I I'm sorry. I love Grant. He does a fantastic. I love West of Everest podcast. Um, but when he said that, I I I dropped the broom that I was sweeping my floor with, and just I, I was just I couldn't. Ah, my hair is falling out. For sure. Um, but yeah, like is OU going to be able to replace Ceedee Lamb? Probably not. But they're going to have guys that are going to be able to catch the ball and keep defensive coordinators up at night. But the, apparently there's just this a handful of people that believe that Charleston Rambo would just be that guy in order to like in terms of like leading the wide receiver wide receiving court or being the number one option. And I'm like, he's fu- he's good. 
he he's like he's like the Kennedy Brooks of running uh, of wide receivers. I and, wouldn't and, even go that. Far. Well, in that he can be an all conference performer. Sure. If he's an all-conference performer at the end of the year, that would not shock me. But he's not, in my opinion. I don't, I don't see him con- consistent enough. And we even saw it against Missouri State. Um, he's not consistent enough, in my opinion, to be an All-American type, to be a Blitnikoff type, and therefore be like in the realm of a C.D. Lamb, Marquise Brown, D.D. Westbrook type. Like he, I just, I don't see that. If OU's going to have one of those guys, it's going to be a young guy who emerges. And Charleston Rambo will always just be that luxury piece of we got this fast fast some bitch like that your linebackers will not want to cover in the slot on those slants so um i think he's a good receiver but i i don't know where this was all coming from un- unless it was just the assumption well he's the upperclassman he's fast he had that awesome play against alabama in the orange bowl two years ago so it, it's like he's gonna be the guy right absolutely uh you know when you think of Charleston rambo you think you, you want a guy that he can make plays after the catch, that he can separate himself from the defense, that he can take the top off the defense. He do all those things. Now, I'm not going to take a lot from just one performance. There's a, a lot of factors that go into that. There's I don't know how much Charleston Rambo practiced. You know, we don't know those things because of COVID contact tracing. And I think the same conversation can be had for Tanner Mordecai. But if he hasn't, I mean. I mean, Marvin Mims looked like the better receiver in his first game in college than Charleston Rambo did in his fourth season. And that shouldn't happen. I mean, tell me a game where Charleston Rambo looked as good as Marvin Mims did. And Charleston Rambo has played bad teams. UCLA last year, he looked like he was taking a leap. Texas Tech. Yeah, he had two touchdowns. He had two touchdowns the other day. He should have had three. He dropped that. Mm -hmm. It was a perfect throw. But the difference in that UCLA game was for the the ability to separate. And And against technically better competition, but that UCLA team was just garbage. Yeah, and he looked good against Texas Tech and West Virginia. I mean, the same teams that Jalen Hurst looked good against. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the realm of things, no, I you you. There's uh, he leaves a lot to be desired. If that, I think that's the best way to put it. Whenever yeah. you want, you see Charleston Rambo, the football prospect, and you watch him play, you're just like, man, there's just. You think there's an extra gear. You think there's an extra move he can make, and that punt return. I mean, you just watch Marvin Mims just take off, and then you see Charleston Rambo's first punt return. It's and they like, and he had the same opportunity as Marvin. Like I, I'm sure he didn't. Maybe there was a a more larger hole for Marvin Mims to see and then initially run straight through. But just go back and watch that punt return. Charleston Rambo had like 12, 13 yards to just run forward Mm -hmm. at least. And like you're Charleston Rambo playing against Missouri State, you're going to be able to outrun some of these first wave guys. Like go go be an athlete, make a move. And that's what you're talking about is you always find yourself wanting a little bit more. Like he's going to have games where he just catches like deep ball here, there, or outruns a secondary. But – it's it's like a basketball player in the NBA that will have third like Ryan Rosillo has an awesome category for some players and Paul George is like the king of this category. He calls them thirty and thirteens, where you're not surprised at all if they put up thirty points one night and then the next night they put up thirteen. You don't even know <laughs> that you don't even know they're for on sure. the floor. And I think Charleston Rambo is that that type of player. Yeah, he 
there Th- was this is a hard sport for sure. You know, so I'm I'm not trying to trash the guy. Like I'm glad he's on OU's team. He's going to help OU win games, but no when doubt. Trajan Bridges comes back. You know what? I know Trajan Bridges is talented. I've heard a lot of good things. And I've heard a lot of good things too, but this is like one of those things where I I need to see it. Like we Theo Weiss had fewer catches than him last year, right? Trajan he had, and Trajan also had a defensive adventure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You remember I mean, that? That touchdown he caught against Iowa State looked good. But in, in Theo's fewer opportunities, I saw enough for me to understand, okay, he's a gamer. For sure. I, I, I just haven't seen that out of Trajan just because his opportunities didn't put him into a situation where he here's could showcase a, that. Here's a great analogy for you. You had the same thoughts about Marvin Mims, correct? Yes, I need the, to see the same, it first. For sure. And yeah. it's the same conversation here about Trudgen is the stuff that you heard. Not the not as definitely the oh my God plays like you heard during camp, but the same conversation about Trudgen and how good he could be is kind of in the same realm that you heard about Marvin. Yeah. So whenever he comes back, heck, if Jane Hazelwood comes back, I mean. Does, He's how, not. No. Uh, he man, he could later in the year theoretically. It's you get a you're, it's not going to waste your eligibility. It's a lot. Oh yeah, it's it's different this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, if Trudgen comes back and Mims is still playing well and Trudgen starts playing well, like who's the odd man out? Because they ran as you uh, if you follow me on Twitter, they had two H backs on the field, eighty percent or more of the time. I know I predicted it, but it's still shocking to see that many. They've ran like 13 different formations with that too. I mean, this guy, he's just hes I mean, putting Lincoln, so much on tape. Lincoln on a, as a play car is kind of in a tough spot because, you know, it's the old adage of like, oh, they're, they're holding stuff back for Texas because you have four or five games before that, for before that game typically. And so you have time to develop some things, but you also have enough time to like, well, we don't want to like just shoot our wad, show you everything. But just from the standpoint of getting guys reps and having the confidence to be able to run certain formations with certain personnel and getting some chemistry down with your young quarterback and your offensive line, your skill guys, like you're kind of compelled to like go up against Kansas State in two weeks and not only kick their ass, but you're gonna have to play these guys a lot longer, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, and and then even if in in Ames the following week, it's like I wouldn't be surprised if Lincoln Riley kind of feels compelled to throw a lot more out there prior to Texas than he typically would, just because I got to see if it works. And then even with the the backups in that game, whenever they're able to come in, if OU beats Kansas State and beats Iowa State handily, like they're supposed to. You've got to get them reps too because you might have to depend on them in a, against a Texas because of contact tracing. For all we know, for sure, it could you know be one of those scenarios the next couple of weeks that you kind of see Oklahoma throw the kitchen sink at both of them. And I think there's also a little bit to kind of what I just said that Lincoln, I think, is going to put everything on tape. I think that's maybe where his head is based off rewatching the game that we just we put everything on tape this year. We're going to make Texas, we're going to make TCU, Gary Patterson, we're going to make them prepare for everything. Like I said, they ran like 12 or 13 different formations in the first half Saturday night, and still 80% or more of the time, it was the same personnel. 
Yeah. Like, so I think that could be a direction we're heading uh, with Oklahoma this year. So it's going to be uh, it's be interesting to see. But I mean, Rambo's got to be better. He's got it. Not I don't. It's so tough to say that because I mean he for he's one of those guys. He, he has been putting up stats. I know he's, you know, there's a lot to be desired at the end of 2019. Um, but he's going to have to be better because if not, I mean, there's some, these, there's yeah. some young horses behind him that are not going to be waiting around for Charleston Rambo to pick it up. And look, I don't have this opinion because he dropped that touchdown pass. If he had caught it and had three touchdowns that day, I'd still kind of be like, okay, that's a great start. And hopefully he can ride that momentum and kind of build his confidence and then turn into the player that some people think that he can be. Because I want that to happen. It's better for OU. And he can be another guy that could have a strong NFL career if he's able to ride that momentum. Um, D.D. Westbrook, up until you know the first end of the first third of the year he won the Blitnikoff, was just always a speed guy. You know? Yeah, I know we're missing an awesome game seven where Paul George is going playoff P, apparently. Oh, really? <laughs> In a bad way. Oh. That's, that's not a good... It's a meme at this point. Oh. But... No, like I... I, I told my buddies, um, if the Clippers lose this game, pl- like Paul George needs to be canceled just a- as a as a great player. Can you imagine what Sam Presti's doing right now? He's just like, ha, ha, ha. Well, I mean, you, it's, easy, it's easy to say that now, but, I mean, when the Thunder start losing, because Chris and Danilo are gone, do we have any, any other OU stuff? Uh, or can I get I, into my... Got, I think we've got it all out there. I mean, yeah. the, the only other thing to mention, and, and I maybe... This gets put closer to the front, but I know I brought up Perry on Winfrey. Isaiah Thomas were very active. There's some positive signs. Um, thought the DBs triggered downhill really well, which is always a good sign to see. That's something they didn't do well early in 2019, but they got better at it as the year went on. It yeah. seemed like Patrick Fields and DeLaren Turniel were more than willing to get up and get their nose dirty in the running game. Which is, yeah, something that I've had confidence in them to do at least. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I don't see them as like ball hawking game changers in that respect but once they get somebody in front of them i'm confident they can make the tackle and mm-hmm. unfortunately i didn't have that confidence two three years ago for sure so. brian asamoa looked good he looked awesome yeah uh deshaun white i still kind of like charleston rambo yeah i was gonna say he's like the charleston rambo with the linebackers yeah and you know you expect more and this is a guy that i was as you know have been extremely high on for a long time and he could still get there and it, maybe it's just one of those things that he needs to play with more of a mean streak. Well, and he's he's the Mike, right? Correct. What a, what if away, uh, David Aguebu takes that leap that we talked about? Tough. I mean, tough does Deshaun slide over? Because no, I, I, I think he, he, he's a Mike. I think I think David Aguebu could, if that Mike position turns into one of those more, not unlike Kenneth last year, to where if he's taking on more blocks, as if he's having to cut off more edges for Brian SMO to make plays, then David Aguebu can do that. And he could do that at a high level, I think. Yeah. And and I know I think my tweet epitomized Aguebu perfectly Saturday night. He looks like a damn created player. Yeah, he's, he, he's just massive. Yeah, just I mean, you can use the cliche freak. I mean, he just he looks like that cat. He looks like that guy that OU fans want on their defense. Kinda I mean Kenneth Murray kind of has that similar description of just like Greek God gets off the bus and you're immediately like maybe a little stunned. Like I got to go up against that guy. Whew. For sure. But, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, nothing but positive. And I know we covered that Saturday night and you know, moving forward, 
I mean, I don't know what I would want to see more out of Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, offensive line play has got to get better. It will get better with guys getting back. Uh, but outside of that, no, I mean, Spencer, Matt Leinart, I think, put it perfectly. I mean, everybody, we've said it. A lot of Oklahoma people that cover the teams have said it. Fans have said it. And this is really not an overreaction. There were throws in that game that looked different, that look like what a guy makes on Sundays. Sunday. And I know I've said it on this podcast. The OE's Jeremiah Hall throws in particular. For sure. And one Rambo dropped. Uh, yep. Specifically and that was, that was like a just a bullshit. Like, eh. That looks so effortless. It looked like he didn't give a damn what was going on. And I mean that in the most complimentary way. Mm-hmm. You know, but that just speaks to his his confidence in his arm. For sure. And it's going to be tough for defenses to come up with a game plan. I mean, I'm even throwing Iowa State in that conversation. I don't. They like to keep everybody in front of them. They like to play that good bo- fucking luck good is game. what I say to that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They may even have a tough time because – where you can attack Iowa State and be really good at it. And even Kyler wasn't great at it then 2018 in that game. Early on, yeah. Yeah, and that the intermediate throws are there. You've got to be comfortable making them. And, I mean, to Spencer's credit more than Kyler, he's got H-backs that are going to be more than willing to want to go get a, catch a pass in the middle of the field. And I don't think, and that's not me talking any crap on Grant Calcaterra. I thought he was a really good player. I thought he did really good things for Oklahoma. But six foot six, Austin Stogner at 262 pounds, probably a little more likely to stay in there and catch a ball over the middle of the field than six foot four, 240 pounds. So, uh, but yeah, it's going to be fun to see them against Kansas State. Kansas State's got, you know, White Huber, a uh, couple kids from Oklahoma. Hopefully, Wayne Jones is okay kid from Owasso that plays safety that got hurt yeah um hopefully he's okay AJ Parker really talented corner uh but they uh I mean it's gonna be one of those games if you want to see something of the Oklahoma defense go pitch a four go let them score 17 points go don't let them score over 20 and go get a couple turnovers because Skylar Thompson's gonna throw them to you yeah he just looked like Joe Montana last year in Manhattan. He did. Yeah. He has he had one of those games. Now I I told you on Twitter that inside OU listeners are gonna have to get some Miami Heat talk, and I'll just I'll be I'll be quick. But Jimmy Butler is that motherfucker, man. Oh gosh. Oh, that was all. That was such he's a, a good dog, game. bro. He is, he is a dog. Tyler Hero hitting shots like he's a like he's a vet. Jay Crowder hitting some clutch threes, making some good plays, and then Bam out of bio's block, man. You didn't get to see it. Mm-mm. When we're done recording, I want you to I want you to look it up on Twitter because like Jason Tatum beat I I think it might have been Tyler Hero or Drogic um, off the dribble and there was nobody in the paint and you know there's like 12 seconds left and I'm like oh no as soon as he beats his guy off the dribble I'm like he's gonna dunk it and that's how this game's gonna end isn't it and then Bam Adebayo comes out of nowhere and just Dikembe Mutombo's that son and like oh it was great the Miami Heat are such a fun team man and I I. I think this series is going to be seven anyway, and I think Boston is technically the better team. But I am very enthused because the Heat beat Boston when Marcus Smart had a great shooting game. I think he hit four or five threes, and that was always my thing of, like, if Marcus Smart has two great scoring games in this series, those are going to be two games that the Heat are going to lose. And he had a great scoring game, and he actually had a clutch flop uh, late the end of the regulation that helped Tyler force overtime. Is that, are you talking about Marcus Smart? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, they the Celtics ran a set play yeah, to have Derek Jones run into Marcus Smart. Just brilliant, Brad Stevens. Brilliant, but Marcus Smart anyway. But, but yeah, the Miami Heat are fun and it's exciting. Hopefully they finish it off. But Keegan, bye week pod is over. That was fun. It was uh, fun. Yeah, let's uh, let's do it again. If the Big Twelve get silly again this weekend we might put out a saturday pod just to kind of talk about big 12 football but um baylor I, houston how that'll are you be feeling about that that'll be fun i have no idea what to expect from baylor they're the one team in this conference that if they win seven eight games it wouldn't shock me if they lose seven eight games it wouldn't shock me and i know i believe chisholm holland does listen to this so oh really it'll be uh whenever he sees this uh it's going to be something that's going to be or here's this sorry i'm Figuring out what's trying to happen with this bit, damn, or bam out of bio. I about said damn, whatever. Uh, he can call him whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was, no, I'm not but kidding. Like Sam Mays picked Charlie Brewer to be the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year and for Baylor to be back in the Big 12 Championship. Sam, you are high. Oh, no. That is an awful take. There is nothing about that team this year. They lost Lynch. They lost... The other guy, the number, the single digit. <laughs> That's Baylor. They well, lost the other. Uh, what's his name? And uh, the other nine. I I said it on Twitter a couple weeks ago when I was. They still watching. got Zebo or whatever his name is. Yeah, I mean in case. Uh, but they lost. No, their offensive line was bad. Yeah. Last year they lost that safety that was just murdering people and got targeting twice. So yeah, it's gonna be. I'm not sure about that. Houston Clayton Toon quarterback. If you remember, this is a guy I said I thought Oklahoma should go get um, whenever he was coming out of high school. He's from the same high school as uh, Trenton Bridges went to. Uh, going to be a lot of fun watching him and Dana Holgerson put, oh, yeah. put it together this year. No, we'll uh, – like like I said, if the Big 12 does a bunch of fun, silly things, we'll, we might podcast that night. But otherwise, I would say uh, probably we'll take the bye week with the team and then just reconvene on Tuesday night next week after Lincoln Riley has his – Kansas State presser. So, uh, everybody, uh, shout out to Lee Benson once again for talking to me on Sunday and being on the first part of this podcast. Like I said, uh, hopefully we'll get Grant on to have the full West of Everest podcast experience on Inside OU. Um, yeah, everybody, thank you for listening to Inside OU this long into it. Um, Keegan, have a good one. Shout out to you and all your writing. Um, yeah, everyone be nice out there. <laughs> My quotes!